0: Blank Jack with Griffin and David. Blank Jack with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Jack.
1: White Hot Desires Melting Cold Podcast Steel. Is that for Kate Sheet? Yep. Yeah, okay. Give me another second oh, you got, here. You got, you got them all? Uh, hold on. Uh, no. hold on.
2: Pause. Oh, the, the Crazy Mama one's long. In
1: 1957, Cheryl drove mom Chevy on a heavy date, got knocked up, knocked over a bank, smashed four police cars, and kidnapped her stepfather. It was a crazy podcast. Pretty okay, good. Okay, hold on. Hold the next one's pretty good, on. too. Hold on. please. People really care about Please hold on. An Avenger on Wheels. He chases them across the state and wipes them off the podcast. Does he? Hold on. What they do to his woman is the most shocking podcast of all. Really? I don't even know. I mean, a lot of shocking stuff happens in that movie. I don't know if he chases them across the state. Yeah, I don't know how accurate. I feel like he just goes over to their house. Okay. Well, anyway, I am finished now, so you can make whatever points you want to make. People used to really put a lot of effort into taglines, and I really appreciate that. And they were like a little, I mean, it like, could be longer, a paragraph. It could be like a little story. Well, here's the thing I like looking at old movie posters.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, Cage Heat poster is phenomenal. That's phenom- a phenomenal, phenomenal. Oh, phenomenal. That's a phenomenal. Poster. No, but the thing I like about old movie posters is Crazy Mama looks like some shit, like a weirdo drew. <laughs> like, they was just like, give it to the weirdo. And he was like,
0: mm, crazy like a, mama. It
2: like a
3: pamphlet that someone <laughs> hands out at Times Square. Right, that
1: it's, a, it. it's like a chick tract or something. Fighting mad, it's okay. The thing I like about old po- posters, and especially I feel like sort of like schlocky, Cormany, exploitation yeah. movies yeah. like this, is that uh, marketing was not as saturated. So a movie had to be able to sell itself exclusively on its poster if that was what need be. This Fighting Mad poster is really good.
2: Right. Because there's the other one where he's, like, got the bow. Yeah. And that one has the thing
1: where it's like, hey, he's got a bow. Right. This one, no bow, but still pretty cool. Do you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, I do. Like, you need to be able to walk up to the theater and be like, what's playing this Friday? And the poster has 12 sentences on it. It has a bunch of elements. Right. Right, right. It's got, like, really kinetic, like, illustration.
2: Yeah.
3: It's kind of similar to, like, schlocky paperback
2: novels. Yes. I would buy... This, it's like, this poster and hang it on my wall. It's a great poster. You know what I mean? Because it's sort of a conversation piece too. Yeah. You can be like, oh yeah, Peter Fonda's in that.
1: You know, you know, that was a Jonathan Demme movie. You know, I feel like you get a couple times a year a movie, especially if the movie's supposed to be like a throwback or an homage to like a bygone genre film. Right, they'll right. be like, oh look, so it's an internet like exclusive. VHS
0: cover. Yeah, right, right, but they'll just right.
1: like put it on like a fucking website. It'll be like a film thread exclusive or whatever. And it disappears and I'm like, How much attention would one of these movies get if they were just like, this is our fucking poster. We hired, like, a painter. The best part. Right. There were, like, 12 painters. Right. You hired one of them. Right. But, like, look at, like, uh, you know, the most popular movie of 2019, Stuber. Did one of these posters that's like... <laughs> Stuber is just so crucial to this podcast, I feel like. And also, I feel like crucial to the state of yeah, cinema. That's,
2: no, but that's why we're invested in Stuber.
1: hundred Even though Stuber came and went. Yes. Didn't make a ton of money. Like an Uber ride. Just a quick blip. Just a quick blip. Just quick a quick blip. blip. Uh, but Stuber's important. Because I feel like Fox... Alan Horn comes out and he's like, Look, what can we say? Fox had a terrible year. We have to fire 8 billion employees. Because Dark Phoenix bombed. Right. But I, I, and obviously an excuse, right? They were always going to fucking cut Fox off at the ankles. (laughs) They were always going to strip it for parts, right? But I feel like you could put as much blame on Stuber as Dark Phoenix. And Stuber is a far better movie and it lost less money. Yeah, I don't think, right. It it didn't
2: lose too much money
1: because it can't cost that much, right? Right, but I do think that, like, that movie had an aggressive marketing campaign. Sure. And it had a prime position in a summer where no comedies were working.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, it it so fully failed to register in any way. I think I had a few. If we really
2: want to, can we start our miniseries off on a good note by analyzing a couple of the problems in the supermarket? I forgot
1: campaign? we're starting a miniseries. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I forgot, like the dew on a leaf. As the Not. sun gently rises and tickles the plains, <laughs> the promise of a new tomorrow. It's morning in America, Blankies. Can you
2: add a, um, like a rooster crowing right there when he says that?
1: It's morning in America, and if you look out there, off in the horizon, squint, Ben. Squint, can you see it? Just faintly. Just slightly. Are coming up the road. Yeah,
3: here it comes. What
1: is it? Oh my god, it's a new mini-size! It's a new mini series, David!
2: Oh no, it's burning up! I think people are like, ow! Get out of the sun! The mini series is too hot! <laughs> it's photosensitive! I can't, can't handle the mini series!
1: Of course, uh, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm so excited
2: for the new fans. Uh, David, new it's fans joining the Demi Heads
1: podcast about philographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers who give a series of blank checks. Make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Mm -hmm. And this is a miniseries on the films of Jonathan Demme, and I just realized we have not had even one conversation about the name of this miniseries. No.
2: I don't think so. We just
1: barreled into it. Yeah. Look at how fucking arrogant we've become.
2: Pretty sure I know what the name is.
1: What do you think it is? Married to the Pod. I strongly (laughs) disagree. I could not disagree. <laughs> no, no.
2: Please go ahead. What's the What's
1: the name? I don't know. I'm oh, saying okay. we didn't you have just, one conversation. You just strongly disagree with Married to the Pod, yeah? Cast? Yeah, I do. I feel like I feel like it should be a Silence of the Lambs thing, but now I'm trying to figure out how to make it work. We've not talked about this once.
2: Not you're, even you're really upset.
1: I'm not upset. <laughs> I'm just a Our lack of planning. Do you remember the amount of of hand wringing we used to do over every detail. The Podchirian. We've cast become today. complacent. We need to shake it up. Well. Don't you think it's it's, it's really a slice? It's a, movie. and it's a series right? Uh, a, a remake, you know. Uh, a miniseries shouldn't be titled after a remake. I mean, Frankenheimer, not
2: Slicinger. Jesus yeah. Christ! I always get my okay. you know, Isingers. Yeah. I, well, I, I, it's, I
1: it's fine, and you're canceled. Um, the the okay. it finally happened. Sons of the Lambs. Canceled. Silence of the lambs. You've canceled. been walking a tightrope for so long and canceled. David is high-fiving. Now ben, ben is
2: not interested in my antics today.
1: No, I like antics. All right,
3: thank you. I was actually I was getting distracted because I was thinking about how I would sound design the canceled moment.
2: Oh, sure, sure, sure. sure.
1: See this. I wasn't seeing about and, and I was thinking about it would be a stamp and it would
3: be like canceled. Yeah, that's
1: good. We gotta okay. kick our butts in the gear. Okay.
3: We gotta oh, get okay. creative. You know what? You're right. It's a new mini-series. This is always an opportunity.
1: Start fresh. And the freshest start we've ever had. And I'm going to say... So you don't want to talk about Stuber? I do want to talk about Stuber. Right, we'll right, get back right. to Stuber <laughs> in a second. We, of course we have to talk about Stuber. Table Stuber for post, now.
2: To be clear, this is posting um, November t- uh, 10th. So <laughs>
1: Stuber will be available on digital.
2: Steelbook's coming. All well, platforms. I,
3: you
1: know, I haven't seen a Steelbook Stuber. pre-order.
3: But we're going to be better this, this mini-series. We're going to be stronger. Stronger, we'll be faster. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't gonna, think we will be faster. I'm going to vape less. <laughs> well, I thought you quit. Well, I have a, a different kind of vape now. Oh, boy. Mm,
1: I don't think getting a different kind of vape is quitting.
3: It's like, you know, a special vape.
1: Yeah, get wacky tobacco. It's awesome. So. Yeah. yeah. Ben's holding up.
3: It's Snoop Dogg's brand. Oh. And what is the name of Snoop Dogg's brand? Uh, Give him a free plug.
2: Why not? G something. <laughs> Great. I'm sure he's thrilled. <laughs> okay, here are a couple big news items. <laughs> it's probably how Snoop Dogg pitched it. I don't know. It's called like G something. <laughs> here,
1: here are a couple big news items. One, Ben, you will be elated to hear that I finally watched the Beach Bomb. Oh, it's now streaming on Hulu. I forgot you hadn't seen it because it, it, it came and went. Came it went. opened so wide, it bombed so quickly, and like the week it was playing wide was the week I was in LA trying in vain to save my TV show. Right. Um, uh, my TV show, of course, being, um, the fuck, I was going to make some joke. No, I couldn't think of like a show that got canceled, which I could pretend I was a fan of. Oh, sure. That was the joke. You format. did that joke
2: at George Lucas. I do that joke all yeah, the time. Yeah, if I can't remember what, what show you said. No, I can't in.
1: remember what fucking. It was
2: show. whatever. It was actually like, end the news that week. Sneaky I can't remember. Sneaky Pete, whatever. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Beauty. so sneaky. It was funny when I did it. You should have What there. if Sneaky Pete was sneakier than ever? I know. Goliath? Oh, oh, here's another check in. Remember when I predicted that both Sneaky Pete and Bosch would be canceled by the time that episode came out? And I was correct about Sneaky Pete, but incorrect about Bosch? It turned out Bosch got renewed for two yeah, seasons at the renewal. same time. So it doesn't count. So I wasn't wrong. I was ill informed. Fine. Okay. okay. Now back on to serious matters. Such as the title of this miniseries or Stuber's no, performance? not Table it. Table okay, it. Right. Stuber is in the hopper. <laughs> I have two other things to talk about first. This very streamlined episode. People complain that we're not talking about the movies enough. I'm going to correct that, but let me talk about four things that have nothing to do with this filmography first. One, finally watch The Beach Bomb. It's on Hulu. Yeah, A lovely film. No one, no one told me that Harmony Korine wrote a script in which Snoop Dogg is a character... Hired Snoop Dogg to play Snoop Dogg, and then somewhere along the process, Snoop Dogg was like, I feel a little constrained by this literally being me. Can we change the name of the character? So the character's name is different, but he is otherwise exactly the same as Celebrity Snoop Dogg. Right. Down to the point where when Drop It Like It's Hot is playing, he goes, this song was a big hit for me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and yet I've, also he's intricately involved in the life of a
1: Miami poet. Like, but I right. love that he was like, you know what would be funny if this guy was friends with Snoop Dogg? Right. And right. he reaches out to Snoop Dogg and he's like, it's kind of a weird, it's like a being John Malkovich thing. It's like a fictionalized version of you, but you fit into this narrative or you're down to do it. And he's like, yes. And then as they're in the rehearsal process, he's like, you know what? I feel like I want to make some choices with this character. I need to change the name to Lingerie. Right. But otherwise, nothing else <laughs> Wait, has changed. Simple question.
2: Yeah. Was it, did he want to change the name because he was worried he was a little too close
1: to the character or just because it would be funny if he was called Lingerie? From my understanding, because I tried to go deep on this, I was like demanding answers. From my understanding, he was like, I think we have more room to play if it's not literally me.
0: Right.
3: Right. Okay. Yeah. I think pot celebrities like Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Like, I think that's cool.
1: (sighs) Like this is what this miniseries is gonna be, huh? All right. Uh, No. What did you think of the beat? Come on,
3: Willie Nelson, Uh Snoop Dogg. How do you rise to that level? I like smoking weed. Where
2: you're like making money off of your brand as just being a a toker on a weed. I'm Willie Nelson. be famous already. It feels like you got to kind of be famous for a good few years, and then just talk about it so much that people are like, "We get it. That's your thing." Yeah. (laughs) All right. And then after a while, you're like, "I quit," and they're like, "All right." Mm. You're not interesting anymore.
1: Seth Rogan, I gotta say, has done a pretty good job of <laughs> I
0: can't do it. <laughs> oh, he's done a good job.
1: Right. I'm going to cookie monster. I think he's done a good job of maintaining a a level of weed culture focus that is sustainable. Cause he's never had to do the scale back thing. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of these guys go a little too hard at some point, and then things, it's like then they have, have to go like I'm not just all about weed, right? Um, okay, it, very important matter of business. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say I love I love the Snoop Dogg lingerie beach bum thing. I think it's the most audacious choices I've ever seen in a movie, and it's great because it's the opposite of Diane Ward in uh, Chappie in terms of successfulness. I agree. Which is like oh, they keep the names the same. Make the characters different, but the actors are playing t-shirts with the name of their band on them. Did you like the movie? Uh, Beach Boom, yes. I think it's fantastic. Point it's number great, two. right? Point number two. I have a huge announcement for everyone, and Ben doesn't even know this. I've officially gotten David into Steelbooks.
2: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Right. I, st- I don't know if Ben's that pumped about that. I don't
1: even know what that means. Okay, for the listener at home, Ben's eyes have rolled back into <laughs> his head. The listeners are freaking out. And the point is, I started, I started texting David images of Steelbooks and then selling him on. Steelbooks are like, I always fucking talk about them. And no, they're I'm like excited. Discs that come in like a metal case and they usually have more minimalist artwork. And they're like limited edition and they're usually exclusive to Best Buy. And I set David off and he ordered like three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel good about this.
2: That's cool. And this is a
1: new miniseries and it's a fresh start and it's a really clean entry point for new listeners. Okay, point number three, Stuber. So Stuber. I'm just gonna say, I know what you're talking about.
2: I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? But like, the Stuber poster? Oh, oh, you wanted to say talk about the, the poster specifically. Yes. I'm sorry. Go what were you gonna say about I Stuber? I just think like like a lot of these titles that underperformed this year and prompted yeah. a sort of like, oh no, is like the studio movie dead, is the comedy dead, is the well, yeah. you know, like you know, it's like Stuber got bad reviews, yeah. it had a terrible name. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it did. Yeah. Um, and although I, I think there's a lot of public goodwill for Dave, Batista, and Camille, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. maybe they're not quite at this sort of level where people are just automatically going to see a movie because they're in it. Sure. So it just had a lot working against it. And, you know, it, that's, that was that, right? Like, it's just sort of like, it's hard to break through. Like, it opened against Crawl, and a lot of people were like, Crawl, what's it about? There's a crocodile? Yeah. It eats people?
1: I'm there. But Crawl even underperformed. Crawl did fine. Crawl did not. Crawl should have done much better.
2: What?
3: Crawl did what did great. Crawl end
1: up at? Forty five. Thirty eight. Oh, David, that's not good. No, tri- Horror tri- is one of the only viable. Yeah, but it was, Paramount. it was Paramount. That's what I'm. Oh, so that means it did well. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. For new know listeners, they, they do this all the time. Yeah. Paramount torpedoed that movie. Well, they, they for, fucked it up. They torpedo everything. They fucked it up. Please hire us, Paramount. Look at Curse of La Laronia, a movie that the quietly Curse made La sixty-five million dollars domestic. Yeah, but that was
2: uh, in the Conjuring universe. That's some branding, right? I'm
1: there. I'm just saying, Crawl had some of the best reviews of the year.
2: Crawl got some good reviews, but that was it's it's a good movie. They didn't screen it in time, so it got kind of late. Good reviews, but yeah,
1: they fucked it up. Yeah. Can I say a big thing about Crawl? Sure. Saw it in theaters, like all. American moviegoers should have. Right. And it was the first film I've seen in a long time and obviously I have more love for the medium than most but it was the first film I've seen theatrically in a long time where I was like man I hate that that they fucked up 3D and killed it because crawl is a movie designed to be You like the medium more than most I would say. But, but yeah. But even still, I cannot remember the last time in 5 years I saw a movie and I was like oh, fuck this should have been in 3D. Crawl is like it should have been in 3D. It's all like spaces with a water level it's that's very high. immersive. It's all about depth. Right. It's in like small contained quarters. See, I couldn't, I'm
3: too claustrophobic to see that movie because everyone was like, Ben, you have to see this. such a wet movie. And I yeah, was interested.
0: Very wet,
1: very wet.
3: But I can't do claustrophobic stuff. Yeah.
1: Most of it's in a basement. Yeah. Sounds like pumped, a nightmare. But
2: I'll, I'll see it on um, TV. Steelbook TV.
1: Oh, man. The Crawl Steelbook.
2: Maybe it'll be, like, in the shape
1: of a crocodile biting.
3: Ooh, maybe there'll be a bite or is mark an in ever. the steel book. got a
2: text message? No. What do you got there?
1: Um, that's not important. That's What's awesome. important is that the Venom steel book, and once again, very streamlined episode, very focused, new miniseries, great entry point for new listeners. The Venom steel is it's like... Is his face, I see. And it it here. it's like the, the title is forming in the sides of his mouth. Well, Venom's a pretty malleable face. I know, but I just think that's, like, a clever design. And this gets back to the thing, watch me come... Full circle. I love Venom. I find the Steelbook artwork is so often more compelling than the actual artwork for the main release of the film because they feel like, oh, we can get more creative with it. And then for the main release, it's usually some Photoshopped, like, jumbled nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about posters where you look at these three Corman movies and they all have striking posters. They do. They do. Uh, And I feel like something like Stuber... They'll do, like, a retro throwback, like, Stuber poster. Do you mean, like, this one? Uh, I think that's the one. Right. Yeah. And you're like, it's kind of half-assed. This one's no good. It's, like, a poor emulation of what they're trying to do. And uh, The
2: stuper poster that wasn't bad was the one that prominently featured the dog. I know. Because then at least I'm like, oh, there's a dog in this thing? Well, and I also like— And then it turns out the dog's barely involved.
1: Okay. Uh, this is a miniseries on the films of Jonathan Demme, obviously. Kind of a green, yeah. And I'm going to just write out The Silence of the Lambs and see if I can visualize how to make this work. And we're going to talk about all three of these movies a bunch because this is the first time we've covered three movies in one episode, which, of course, means we're stalling for time and trying to figure out ways to pad out the episode.
2: Yeah, which we really need to do. Uh, Yeah, this is the beginning of our Jonathan Demme miniseries. And for the beginning of our Jonathan Demme miniseries, we're talking about the three movies he made with the Corman family, Mm -hmm. Caged Heat... Crazy Mama and Fighting Man. In that order, three successes. 1974, successive
1: years. 1975, 1976. Bam, bam, bam. And someone on the Reddit point out uh, K.G. is now officially the oldest movie we covered on the podcast. That is true. We gotta go further back. We
2: haven't done anything. Yeah, no.
1: We gotta go back, but we we so far have not covered a film earlier than 1974. I think this beats the Loveless as previously the oldest. There you go. Fair enough. But here's a big asterisk as to why. We usually cover current. Filmmakers, working filmmakers whose careers we can still track, this is the first time we are covering a late filmmaker on the podcast, which is sad.
2: I'm making
1: I'm happy that we're making time to discuss all of his films because it's Demi. quite a career. I mean,
2: he's a relatively current filmmaker and that so, like, he made a movie that came out five or six years ago whenever Ricky and the Flash came but out. But it's the first uh, time we're
1: talking about someone where, talking where there's a, a full deceased like, end ellipses director. on the miniseries. There's no sort of forward thinking, like uh, what could happen. Griffy in the podcast. No. This is uh, our second director, March
3: Madness that won our March Madness bracket. For, right, he defeated
1: George Miller in the in the final round, in and it was the, quite a Cinderella run, kind was. of like it, you the know, Nancy Myers one. But it's stealth, that's the thing, because Nancy Myers was dominating. Every she got match some big up. scalps early, right?
2: But he was like. The, that March Madness was kind of boring. Like, all the winners, you know, the winners were kind of big shots. We were
1: upset because we were like, it's going to be a really boring final four where and it's he just was the top kinda, four seed.
2: He was kind of sneaking along. I mean, let me try yeah. and. Get. And I feel like he was like edging out narrow victories. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, here was his run. He beat Cronenberg by four points. Kind of a surprise.
1: Well, I yeah,
2: I was surprised. He beat Verbinski. By a lot. I was 58 very to very surprised. But now, you swung the vote I by tweeting vote. that you didn't want to talk about Johnny Depp for a while. I
1: swung the vote, and I didn't think it would have that effect, and
2: I will live with that guilt forever. Yeah, who cares? And then in the quarterfinals, he beat PTA by a hair. By two
1: points. And that was kind of an interesting matchup. That was up. like,
2: ew, yeah, mentor mm-hmm. and, you know, disciple. PTA being the disciple. Of course. Right. Uh, and then in the semifinals, he beat... Ramey by two points, so another tie. I mean, he squeaked all the way. Yeah. And then he beat Miller by four points. So it was always squeakers.
1: Yeah. Squeaked, squeak. But even now, looking back, I can't believe it happened. What a run. I'm looking at his films. I mean, right now I feel like, is it just the silence of the podcast? Yeah, fine. That's good. Okay.
2: Let's do it. The silence of the podcast. The truth about podcasting? stop,
1: stop, Stop potting casts? The truth about podcasting? Stop potting casts? No, I don't like that. Stop making I don't like podcasts. podding as a word. Stop making podcasts. It's not a
2: verb. We're not podding right now.
1: We're as uh, the thing that America cries out to us all the time. Stop, Stop podcast. making podcasts. Conan already did it.
2: The Truth About Podcasting. Uh-huh. I just kind of like that as a grabby
1: title. It's kind of interesting. The Truth About Podcasting. But here's uh, And here's the truth about podcasting. I love it. I mean... a. Uh, Great twist. <laughs> but what I like about Silence of the Podcast is it's a little bit funny. It's a little winsome because it's like Silence of the Podcast is an audio medium. I mean, that's fair.
2: It's really funny,
1: David. I, well, I, yeah, why well, don't we put up a survey? Okay. Here are the options stop making podcasts. All right. Wait a second. Let me. The truth about podcasts. I think all of these have to be. Podcast is in it as one word. We're not splitting up podcast. I
2: don't like splitting them up unless it's really smooth.
1: And when it's smooth, oh, baby, does it feel good? (laughs) Something wild doesn't work. Married to the podcast. Did I like when you were humping the air? Yes. Everyone loved it, David.
3: What's he doing?
1: More physical.
3: Okay, that's a new thing.
1: Yeah. New this For this new miniseries, more physical bits. More physical bits. Uh, well, if you want to get David physical, hold up a picture of Colin Farrell.
2: What am I doing?
1: <sighs> Ben's dabbing.
2: <laughs> you said that with great distress.
1: Yeah. Okay, here are the four options. Ready? Uh, and don't worry, uh, we will very shortly also, start talking about the first of three movies. Also
3: effective, <laughs> moving forward, this mm. is... I have to weigh in as the commissioner.
1: The commish. Right. One of the commissioners, of course. You're the uh, commish. Officially of the no more eating thing. on blank check. Hey, look, you know, it, it's controversial, but I am one who has been vouching for this for a little while. Just stop eating? Yeah. I'll say
2: this. We're only ever eating if we're we're fucking hungry and like timing has gotten away from us, right? We don't do it deliberately. But no more.
3: If I see, if I see just anything edible in your hands,
1: I will smack it out. Uh, the fuck! What the fuck is the Twitter password? am not. What you want me to say it on mic? Uh, for listeners just tuning in, we spent six minutes trying to remember the password to our own Twitter. All right. Okay. Yeah. Here are the polls. Okay. okay. We had to cut all of that out. Yeah. Truly, several minutes. Okay, here we go. Back in full energy. All right, here we go. Here we go. Come on, come on, come on. Four come options. On. One, stop making podcasts. Ben is vomiting in the corner. <laughs> Two. No, I'm not. The silence of the casts. No pod. Drop the pod. It's cleaner. This is a new miniseries. Everything's out the window. All right. Number three, the truth about podcast singular. Your no. boy's wild for this one. Truth about podcast. All right, okay, fine, yeah. Number four, married to the pod. Yeah. I want all okay, four of sure. them to be different. A singular. A plural. One pod, one cast. This is radical. This is what happens when there's a new miniseries. It's tweeted. Okay, huge. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that
2: like I sounded like a
1: crazy person. And we're having a great time, and we're all in I think
2: moment. it's going pretty good.
1: I think it's going great. So Jonathan Demme was born February 22nd, 1944, in Baldwin, in New York. In Baldwin, New York? Baldwin, New York. All right. He was raised... In Rockville Center, New York, he's Long Island, Miami, in Miami, out. because he graduated uh, from Southwest Miami High School.
2: Okay, okay. went to University going. of Florida.
1: Right, so it's like first half, he's in like sort of like Westchester, Long Island, New York life. Second half, he goes tropical, baby, like the beach bum. Yeah. Do we have any idea what happened? I did he go to film school? I realize we University didn't. University of Florida has a famous film school, right?
2: I bought a Demi book. Uh-huh. Hasn't We're arrived right? yet. Hasn't wow. arrived yet.
1: We really, we we, we went quickly into this mini without realizing we had done any of the prerequisites. or yeah, whatever. You're Shut looking up. at me like I'd do that. Know, I'm man. looking at you with a sense of like, here's, please forgive here's, here's, me. Here we, here we go. Here we <laughs> okay. go. Here we go. <laughs> All
0: right.
2: Cut some of that out. Cut too. everything out. dissing of the podcast. Here's the on start
1: the of the episode. Here we go. Here we go.
2: He, became, he was a film critic at the U of, U of Florida ah, college paper. The old Bogdanovich pathway. I can reveal this now. Can I reveal a spoiler about it too? What? Cuz this is coming out way. Bogdanovich plays a director in it. He plays like the director of a movie that like of like it won essentially. Like James McAvoy like wrote it won, right? He's like a grown-up screenwriter now and he like wrote a movie about his childhood. Uh-huh. And like Bogdanovich plays the director.
1: Mhm. It's pretty great. I thought you were saying, can I share a spoiler about it, comma T O O, which is a problem that I think is gonna keep happening when this movie Well I believe comes it out. chapter
2: two is the
1: No, but the you know what I'm trailer. saying? I was like a a spoiler about what?
2: Okay, sure. Anyway, that's the spoiler.
1: And you were like, this also <laughs> That's what I thought you were saying. All right, all right. Well Which good. I bring up because the other day I was texting with our friend Alex Ross Perry, and we similarly had a giant miscommunication over the fact that I texted to ask him if he had seen scary stories to tell in the dark and then to curious what you thought about it but the first text didn't go through and he was like I liked it okay oh
2: sure sure saw the first one
1: I'm excited for the second one and I was like have they announced a sequel and we kept talking (laughs) about it
2: Jesus right.
1: came to the attention of producer Joseph Levine okay as a critic
2: as a critic who was so impressed by Demi's positive review of the movie Zulu Mm. a British classic yeah that now is probably just the most fucking impossibly racist movie ever made. Like, I haven't thought about no. Zulu in a while. It was Michael Caine's launch. Have you ever seen Zulu? Uh, no, I've heard Michael Caine talk about filming Zulu. Like, where it was rough at? Like, what? what like, talk negatively?
1: It, you know when his master class thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. he talked about it a lot. All the lessons he learned from being bad on Zulu. Anyway, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. seen that. My parents, um, my grandparents used to have it on VHS. Yeah. And when they died, I threw it out. <laughs> wow brutal I took home a box of Betamax tapes and threw out Zulu oh, on VHS Max, what
2: oh sure oh, oh you took oh well
1: so Levine hires him as a publicity writer okay
2: okay so now he's in the biz mm-hmm. uh, tangentially but so he was not studying no I don't think so directing but he liked movies because he's writing about them Blanket Blanket he probably would have said that yeah then he meets Roger Corman okay because he's doing publicity on a Corman movie Von Richthofen and Brown, hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And so Corman's like, I like you, kid. You know, I got Bogdanovich. I got Coppola. Yeah. I got uh, fucking Scorsese. Like, You know, he's coming a little later, but like, right? Like, right. come join my stable of nerds who will right. make movies for me.
1: Right. And years later, he's going to have James Cameron making models. Exactly. Bill exactly. Paxton working as a gripper. Bill
2: Paxton's uh, first appearance is, is in, in a, is Fighting Mad, right? Or is it Crazy, crazy Mama? Crazy Mama. Right? No,
1: this is like a mythical figure. Sure. Kind of, right? Roger Corman. He's Cormac. still alive.
0: Yeah. He's still alive. Yeah, right. He's still
1: alive. He's a mythical figure. Um, He, several years ago, got the honorary Oscar. And it was kind of a big deal because uh, his movies are not considered particularly good but like the fruits of his tree you know that was the argument was like look at the amount of academy award winners yeah. who made their first film for roger Corman, because
2: he was like ron
1: I mean, howard yeah francis ford one. coppola yeah, 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 right. jonathan Demme, it's crazy yeah. james cameron like people where roger Corman was like i don't know make it
2: well but i think wouldn't it be more like and I, people are experts on this sort of cinema decor but like he'd be like look It's got to be a motorcycle movie. Right. There needs to be tits. And there has to be like a scene where a guy is thrown off an Apple truck. Like he had some specific demands that he just was like, this is what the people like right now. But then he'd be like, do whatever else. I don't give a shit. You know, do whatever you want.
1: You know, be weird. That's fine. You know, the guy Mike Starr plays in Ed Wood when he goes in, he's like trying to pitch him on like. This project means so much to me. I've been wearing wearing women's dresses. He's like, I got the poster up. It's just got to have these three things. It's pre-sold in in Alabama. Right. Right. Roger Corman's interesting because he's that kind of like Schlockmeister, except not cynical. Sure. So first of all, what's funny about him is he's super square. He's right, just he's like kind this of a, kind of like avuncular old man who's like, well, the kids like Western Midwestern it. dude, right. <laughs> very he much is. like a normal right, he's guy. He's not like
2: some twisted master of BDSM. Yeah, right. right, you
1: never hear any stories about him being like a fucking, like, you know. He got like an engineering degree at Stanford. He's like, right. He was like, know, these kids like the movies. I should try making so. TV shows, right, 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 right. But there was no like, oh, he was like a domineering asshole. There was nothing like sure. salacious or, you know, anything about a lot of love a lot of love which makes him this interesting figure and he like knew like I'm not trying to make art I'm trying to make movies but I think he had this generosity of spirit of the thing I can really provide is I'm selling sort of pre-selling the idea of uh, like Fighting Mad comes out of Walking Tall and Billy Jack and these sorts of like rural Americans taking back what's theirs like one man with one weapon standing up to the system kind of movies so he was able to go and go like, look, here's what you need. There needs to be a kid in it. You need to pick an iconic weapon, <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> and he needs to stand dumb. up
1: against something. Exactly. Like he'll and, give you the three, and things. I'll give you forty grand, and everything else is up to you. All and
2: right. he's also very famous. It was like Chopped.
1: Yeah, well, because a big part of it was I forget what movie it was. Like
3: that show on Food Network. Chopped. Yeah, no, I'm aware. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm aware no, 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 no we got that. it, we got it, yeah, right, right, we, got it. Right. we got it. They I give like it. three random
2: ingredients. Yeah, <laughs> his Griffin sister was on Chopped.
1: Yeah, retired Romley. Yeah. Oh, boy. Remember her? Sucking on his pen. Yeah. (laughs) Shut up. Ben pens out. But he would literally do that, too, where they were, like, filming a movie in a castle. And, like, Francis Ford Coppola was doing, like, additional dialogue. And he's like, Francis, you know, we have three extra days on this castle. We're going to wrap in time. If you can write something in the next 24 hours, I'll give you those three extra days and you can direct whatever you want. And that's Francis Ford Coppola's first movie. There's this cool kind of like resourcefulness in that sense. I mean sometimes it's like here are the three elements I need to sell the movie and sometimes it's here's stuff I have left over. Here's an actor I have under contract. Here's a location I have. We built this monster for this thing, whatever it is. And that's the other thing that's interesting about him is he crosses over through a lot of different genres. They're all quote-unquote genre movies but he's not a guy where it was like I just make horror pictures, you know? No, not at all. Um, And he would sort of follow the trends. And he was very big in sort of like pushing the counterculture to the center of the culture. Uh, One of the movies he directed is this movie called The Trip that's like the first movie about an acid trip, which was Peter Fonda's big breakout. And it was co-written by Jack Nicholson because Jack Nicholson's another career that doesn't happen if not for Roger Corman.
2: Let me give you the Corman, slight Corman. You know, right. He starts out, he does independent that stuff, right? Yeah. He does Machine Gun Kelly. He does, right? Like AIP. I think that was right. his first. Then he does these like. These are just like low budget
1: movies yeah, yeah, he's yeah. making. Then yeah. He does like horror movies. Sometimes movie, he's lot directing of, them. Sometimes he's producing right. them. He does right. There's a lot of horror movies. He did a lot of Poe, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. He does a lot of Vincent Price. Then he. He uh, would then, sort of get like down on their luck, sort of like past glory. You know, I think he did some Bell Lugosi movies, some Karloff movies and all of that.
2: Yeah. Then he did, like, an, he had an actual, he worked at Columbia. Mm-hmm. He had an actual contract there. He made The Wild Angels with Peter Fonda mm-hmm. which is a pretty famous movie. He directed that. Um, you know and Then after a
1: while, he's sick of that. He goes back to indie stuff. That's what's kind of cool is he gets his chance of their life. You've proven yourself. And he works in the studio system. He's like, this is stupid. I'm going to go back to doing things my way.
2: Right. And then he starts New World Pictures, which mm-hmm. distributed all these Demi movies and many other movies. yeah And also, like. Distributed like cries and whispers, mm-hmm. or you know some other like I feel like you know Amarcord and like right. a lot of uh, foreign films in the seventies. He'd buy them for cheap. Yes, he'd distribute them, make some money, mm-hmm. win an Oscar. Like yeah. he won a lot of Oscars, like not personally, but his company. Yeah, did.
1: yeah. right. Sometimes it's something crazy would be thing. a little more you know legitimate and would end up with a wire release. A lot of times he was designing them as when they're literally used to be B movies. Yep. You know, it was like the theater is selling a double feature and the main attraction is the first one. And just give me a B movie to fill out the bill. Right. And he could deliver those. Right. And I feel like
2: just as time goes on, like his world, you know, the the, yeah. the space for his
1: kind of movies just gets narrower and narrower. Home video kind of kills him. Yeah. Or at least his model of doing things. And then he sort of becomes a home video guy. Yeah, but the movies like, aren't the same. And he did, like, TV movies for, like, the sci-fi channel. That's the shit. thing. Then yeah. it starts to become like he's doing, like, Megalodon versus, you know, giant mecha octopus or but whatever. But now, now
2: he's doing. a luminary, right? Like, right. you know, you could get Roger Corman to come to your film festival. Right. Julie, too. Julie Corman, who produced yeah. uh, Crazy Mama. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, like you say. All these directors owe their careers yeah. to him. He got an honorary. Like, he's he's a legend.
1: There's the story that's really nice where Ron Howard, like, you know, has been acting for, like, 15 years, and he's 19 years old, right? And he's, like, uh, the star of Happy Days, or maybe this is right after Happy Days finishes, but he really wants to direct, and he goes to film school while he's, like, a TV star and gets a degree in directing and no one will hire him to direct because they're like, you're fucking Opie. You're Richie Cunningham, right? I'm not going to hire you to direct something. Right, 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 And he went in with, like, his earnest projects and pitched to Corman who was, like, the last stop. And Corman was like, well, that's not the kind of movie I make. But I'll tell you something. We did some tests recently, and the title Grand Theft Auto is very popular as an idea. Sure, just <laughs> just the, the very title. Right, so he was like, if you can make me a picture— in 10 days called Grand Theft Auto, I will give you, you know, $300,000. You could do anything you want. Right. And the, the sweet story is that Ron Howard says that Roger Corman came up to him and he was like, you're doing really good. And he's like, wow. And he's like, you're doing so well that I think you'll never have to make a movie for me ever again. Sure. Graduating from Roger Corman is right. sort of a good thing. Right? right. And Howard was a guy who was sort of like there immediately. Demi's an interesting figure because, especially because, I guess, it makes a lot of sense now, Demi didn't have a film production background. You see these three movies as, like, experimentation, you know? This isn't a guy who's, like, ready to make a feature. This is a guy who's, like, trying out a lot of different ideas. Um, But that is, I think, the main thing that is compelling about Demi as a filmmaker, is Demi always felt weirdly kind of experimental sure. for someone who became a very mainstream filmmaker and ended up sort of being like weirdly an Oscar Beatty filmmaker because his films have this like very playful sense of like, why not do this? You could do this. There's no reason a movie can't do this, you know, in terms of his, the ways he vacillates between uh, uh, tones or genres within a single movie, between visual styles, you know, or uh, narrative structures or any of those things, sure, and these three movies each feel like they contain like slices of the things he's interested in, but we've yet to got get the one that's sort of unified as feeling like what a demi movie ends up being. Is that fair to say?: Yes, cool.
2: I think so. I think well we can talk about it. we'll talk about it. yeah, um, but first, before we get to Cage Heat, uh-huh. he shot one scene. Okay, of a sex film called Naughty Wives, also known as Secrets of a Door to Door Salesman. Uh huh. He wrote some scripts. Angels Is Hard to Come. Is that the come, one? I'm Angels sorry.
1: Is that the one that Coppola wrote on?
2: Uh, not seeing any Coppola okay. mentioned. Anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he wrote. He wrote. You know, Angels Is Hard to Come mm-hmm. and the Hot Box. So he wrote some Corman scripts. Right. Caged Heat. He gets to write and direct. Mm-hmm. So that's I. Th- my argument would be like, I Crazy Mama feels less. That one feels harder to get a handle on. Cage Heat and Fighting Mad, but Cage Heat's Cage weird.
1: And, like, that's a movie he made. I agree. What's interesting is Cage Crazy... Cage Heat was easily my favorite of the three we watched. Crazy... True- uh, uh, yes. I would say I think it's my favorite of the three, but I also think Crazy like Mama that. is the one that feels the most like a Demi movie.
2: Yeah. I just didn't And like I have my Fighting theory Mama. why. I mean, Crazy, Crazy Mama. Mom, I'm please. really struggling. to keep these titles separate. You didn't watch any of these, right, Benny? No. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it feels like later movies that, right, you're right, yes, right. that he then refines. Yeah,
1: Right, okay, so let's start on Cage Heat. Cage let's start on Cage Heat. Cage, Cage Heat is like pure experimentation in like a playful way, right? Not like in like a fucking stand Brakhage way, but it is, here's is a tired and true Corman genre. It's women in prison. Right. At some point, someone locked onto the idea that you could always get horny men In the seventies, to go see women in prison—it's almost on the downswing by the time. Like, there's been a lot of them by the time
2: this comes out. Right. This is
1: like the end of like a five or six-year hot box. That's the
2: that's a famous one. I've seen that movie. Yeah. Um, which Demi wrote. There's another really famous one, but
1: it was like someone was standing at a blackboard, and they're like,
2: "I mean, it's got its own fucking." Wait
1: a second. If you do a women in prison movie, you can have all the nudity in the world. And it can get past the censors because it's not sexual. Like it was like they'd been like, well, before if you had 17 naked women in a movie, it had to be an orgy and then it's a porno film. And they finally like figured out this like narrative like hack where it's just like, oh, you can have dialogue that's progressing the story, quote unquote, that's taking place while everyone is fully naked. And then it becomes this like incredibly valuable subgenre for half a decade.
3: I mean that's like the shower scene, right? The group shower scene. There, get there, a bunch of naked bodies, but you know it's just
1: there are no less than six of them in there this film. A lot of them in this there film. are a lot of them in this movie, but also the women in prison film gives you like danger. Yeah, right. It gives you the criminal element, the crime, the seediness that these B movies usually need to sort of satisfy. There's either you know uh, you get action. Is there an escape? There's, like, a man that you can rebel against. There's a lot of rebellion elements.
2: It's the 70s. People are like, fuck the man. So there can be, like, a warden who's evil and you can hate them. Which is the
1: other thing about it is these movies are then able to also be, like, no, but look, it's, like, feminist. It's empowering. You know? Sure. Which very often is a very hollow claim. Sure. And this movie feels like he's actually trying to square the circle. Like, this movie feels like him being, like... I know I have to have
2: the nudity. I know I have to have the violence. Like, right. I have to have, you know.
1: You've given me like 10 things I need to put in this movie that seem antithetical to a guy who is by and large characterized mostly for his sense of humanism, right? That's like Demi's like defining characteristic as a filmmaker. Yeah. Is like he really cares about people and he's interested in people. Um, mm-hmm. And here's a movie in which he's like trying his hardest not to reduce... These women, but every five minutes, someone needs to show their breasts. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's like the, the tension between that makes the movie kind of interesting. But there are also just things in the movie that are so fucking strange. It's a weird movie.
2: Really weird. Although it is, as you say, to describe it, it seems pretty normal.
1: There are some women in prison. Right. There's some sort of intercine warfare You enter between in the women. with like one prisoner. The movie starts with her getting caught. Her getting
2: caught, her you know, the cops shooting her guy her boyfriend. Right. And she ends up she in jail. She gets caught, she's in jail. Right. So if you want- get strip searched. Right. And then she meets like her fellow prisoners, her right. bunkmate, the mean lady who yes. sort of is a bully, like and steals her smoke. Sort of innocent you know? sweetheart. Yeah, right. One's right. a
1: bank robber, one uh, a, a manslaughter and right, self-defense, right? right? One I of them mean, gets you
2: know, thrown in the solitary community, thrown in yeah. the frickin' slammer thingy, you know, that sucks.
1: Right. A hole. In the hole. Right. In the shoe. And there is there is like, you know, the evil doctor.
2: Well, yeah, okay. I mean, this is what it starts. I mean, this also feels, yes, very right? exploitation movie, right? There's the, But, but there's I don't want to
1: talk about the levels of the evil doctor yet. I want to describe it as if it were a normal movie. Sure,
2: he's an evil doctor, and he, like, experiments on them while they're naked
1: as well. Well, I wasn't even going to get to that. But the point is, then the movie goes into what would seem like a plot, which is, like, they decide to escape. They need to get out of this prison because this guy's up to no good, and he's going to come for them all, right? The and doctor. They, yes. Okay. They decide to escape. What makes the movie weird is, in a film that's like 78 minutes? Yeah, sure. Right. There's a lot of just hangout time with the women in prison, where it feels like there is no tension whatsoever. There's a lot of
2: hangout time. Yeah. There's multiple dream sequences that are barely relevant. Yes. Like, where she's sort of having a fantasy of her old boyfriend, or a fantasy of escaping or being attacked, or whatever.
1: Which, I gotta say, are are very well shot. I mean, he does this sort of like... This is why I like this the most. Right. Right. It's visually the most interesting. It has a
2: score by John Cale of The Velvet Underground. Cool. Uh, by the way, get this going. I yeah. mean, the mouth organ is half the score on all these movies. Yes. Which is such a classic, like, exploitation, Corman movie, like, kind of thing. A lot of that. And can then the other half is harmonica. Can you do
1: it, like, at a pretty steady clip? Like, keep on, like, hitting it? Yeah, I mean, that's like. what all of them sound like, right. yeah. It's either that or a harmonica. Right. Right? Like, that's yes. the score.
2: Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, it was just some rando. It's like, no, it's John
1: Cale, Yeah.
2: Like, a couple years removed from, I don't know, like, White light, white Heat or whatever.
1: Yeah, and this movie has a, a level of, like, um, a visual interest that it doesn't need to have. Even just down to, like, the art direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the jail is painted with pretty striking colors. Um the The clothing choices I mean they all just wear their own clothes, essentially there're like no prison uniforms in this movie um so it's like very bright and colorful for a prison film, which it tend is. to be very monotonous it's they like concrete do they tend to concrete be kinda, and jumpsuits, right, right.
2: Oh, jumpsuits. No, and this agree. is a
1: film where like the walls are kind of like a periwinkle, and everyone's wearing like different like edges of seventies fashion um and and the movie is just sort of like okay, so now it's just like her acclimating herself to the prison. There'll be tension for a scene where the woman tries to like step up to her in the jail cell or like in the cafeteria or whatever it is, you know, on the yard. But it's like mostly just like, okay, this is just like a movie about what every day in a fantasy 70s movie prison would be like, you know? Right. Um, Where all these women are ostensibly dangerous, but it doesn't feel like the place is very oppressive. But then the people at the top of the food chain come in who are... Cartoonishly villainous characters. Yeah. There is this they're evil doctor. They're not pocket. just
2: like the man,
1: right? Right. And because the women in the film, the prisoners, are like pretty naturalistic and like attitude-y in their Kinda performances. Good. Pretty good. Um, Juanita Brown, who plays the bully, yeah, she's pretty striking. She's pretty striking.
2: Um, who else have we got? I
1: anyway. think the lead woman's kind of the least interesting. Erica Gavin, I believe right. is her
2: name, and uh, who's in
1: Vixen, the famous okay. Russ Meyer. Sort of. Yeah,
2: yeah, they're all pretty good. Uh... Rainbow Smith I believe is her name Cheryl
1: Smith (laughs) an incredible name great name yeah Um, plays one of the sort of ingenue types I don't know yeah they're all fine, but then the two higher-ups come in, and it's this evil doctor who is, like, full mustache twirling, like, super Rubbing heightened. his hands
3: together, like, evil yes. laughing. Right. Like, that right.
1: extreme. Wow. Pretty much. Or just, like, hmm, we're going to have to do some uh, experiments. <laughs> like, that kind of, like. He's always smoking a pipe. Yes, he's always got a pipe. He's yeah. got, like, a sort of cartoonishly clean, like, sort of, like, a doctor's coat. Right. You know, and then the warden is played. She's called McQueen, which is yes.
2: kind of a funny. That has to be a Steve McQueen joke, right? Yeah. Uh, played by Barbara Steele, who's mm-hmm. like you know she's from Black Sunday. She's like one of she's those shallow like, you know, right. queens, yes. right? Yeah. She's still around. She's in Eight and a Half. Yeah. She's so good in this. Yeah. She was
1: in fucking. Um, yeah, I'm looking at her career now. this, this is kind of crazy.
2: The last it's movie 81. she was in was Lost River, the Ryan Gosling movie, which I never saw. Oh, that must his be, film that he directed. Yeah, that yeah. must be him being like that. Must be some super fandom, like, probably more like Mario Bava super fandom. Yeah,
1: I think she plays the grandmother in that. Apparently, yes. she's in Piranha.
2: Yes. Like she's
1: around. Yeah. Um, she's great in this. Lost River is very much uh uh Ryan Gosling trying to make a Mario Bava. Movie. Right, right, that makes sense. It's like all the things he likes about weird, expressionistic, like horror and genre films, except no one was. Committing him to the elements that those movies needed to sell, right? Like it's just the sort of like visual shit,
0: right?
1: Uh, weird film. I want to see it. Some people told me it was good.
0: I kind I of got like, like
2: it. booed for an hour at Cannes or whatever, but you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it's the kind of movie I wish people made more often. Right. Like even if it's not great, I like Gosling. I do too. I'm pro him. Yeah, he's good, and I think he's a weirdo. Like he I think a weirdo. lot of people view the movie as like being very affected. I just also like that
2: his response to being like an iconically hot and cool guy at Drive era Gosling has been like, oh, oh, no thank you. Uh, I don't want to ever talk to the press again and like, uh, I'll make like movies sometime. Uh, Goodbye. You know, like he hasn't really ever tried to be cool again.
1: But here's what I love. I also love that it doesn't feel like He's doing the thing we sometimes complain about with DiCaprio, where it's like, I need to fight against this as much as possible. No, no, he makes it, movies. Because if it's a good part or a a good role and a good project or whatever, he'll or be a, like. It's a character that
3: has a Brooklyn accent.
1: Well, I was going to say, he'll still be like, yeah, fine, I'll play the hot guy. <laughs> you know, like he's not like totally adverse to playing the hot guy. He's hot. He's so fucking hot. Anyway, why are we talking about Ryan Gosling? Lost River, Barbara yeah, Steele. She's very good in she's this. Good. And she plays what seems like when she's introduced would be like a very one-dimensional like, oh, it's like the scary headmistress as prison warden. And she's got like little owl glasses and like a very tight bun and wears like, you know, very sharp jackets and everything. Um, but her character is kind of like racked with introspection. Yeah. And like doubt about what she's doing. This is kind of a crazy movie. It's. Pretty nuts. Because, like, what happens in the movie, just to summarize, because we're going to have we
2: have three movies to talk yeah. about anyway. But
1: that's the first 30 minutes. Yeah, then they're the experimentation in jail. starts, and this bad doctor starts using a ton of electroshock therapy. Yeah, bad
2: doctor does bad things. So they break out right.
1: successfully. Right. But they leave one behind, right? Right. Because the threat is what he wants to do is he promises he will get prisoners out on good behavior early. He'll get them the pardon or the early release if they allow him to perform experimental lobotomy. (laughs) Right. Which is all of him trying to, like, test the limits of their subver... uh, 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 Why why am I struggling for the word now? He wants to sexually take advantage of them. Yeah, he's a bad man. He wants to make them uh, submissive, not by choice. Uh, And then is like, but you have no other options. Well, he's like, shocking these women... Until they're like anything to get me out of here. And he's like, I can cut a part of your brain out. And they're like, I guess so. No good. Very bad. Don't do it. I was thinking of doing that. No? No.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Oh, uh, no. wait. I need to just cancel. Okay.
1: So yes, they've already successfully escaped at this point, and they start getting the reports from the prison cell. Right. Because they just escaped because they're like, this electroshock therapy shit's bad. Yeah, they escape. But Have you right. guys ever been on the lamp?
2: Have I ever been on the lamb? No, uh, no, haven't ever been on the lamb. Seems like a stressful situation. I've been on
1: a horse. (laughs) Lamb's pretty hard to ride.
2: Yeah, they don't really move around that much. Been on the lamb. They don't really gallop. So they escape. Yeah. Then they're like, look. And they, they, the escape part is the least interesting part. They spend like
1: 15 minutes just going just like, hanging out. <laughs> so we should probably do more crimes, right? That's the thing we're good at. And they go and meet up with one of their friends who had gotten out like months earlier. Yeah. And she's now working at like a brothel where the service is uh, the, the women wrestle the men. It's like yeah, right, right, underwear right. wrestling without sex. I mean, seemingly. again, some
2: of this stuff just sort of, I mean, again, there's like multiple fights in the shower. Like it does right. feel like it's sort of like, just required. And box we jumped checking. over my favorite
1: sequence, which we'll get to in a second. Get to uh, it now. We'll go back to it. Right. Well, I just wanted to tell about the wrestling thing. But they go into the wrestling place to meet their friend, and they just are like, this fucking loser. We're here to see our friends. Get out of here. And then it turns out the guy is a cop. And they're like, look, we're like, we just got out of prison. We're hot. We need to figure out where to go. We need to lay low. And this guy's like, fuck you, I'm a cop. Here's my badge. And they're like, Okay, I guess we're going to shoot this cop. <laughs> and they take out a gun. There's like a 30-second transition between them being like, hey, you need to help us. We're trying to make an honest lives for ourselves. <laughs> to them being like, we're we're going to be yeah, cop killers. Yeah, we we're going to shoot this cop and leave this whorehouse, this naked wrestling place, and just get out of here. Um, my favorite sequence is when their friend is in solitary confinement the one, the sort of, like, nicest, most innocent of the group, who is the one who is going to be lobotomized, right? Yeah. She starts timing out how long their shower break is. Yeah. She counts. She's like one, 1,000, Right, yeah. to figure out the exact time they have between when they're brought to the showers and when they're brought out. And then she realizes that in the bathroom one of the stalls there's a vent which she can unscrew and go through that leads to the opening above solitary confinement. So there's this great sequence where you see her counting over and over again in the movie, and you're like, what is this? And then finally, like the fourth time, she takes a bunch of food, sneaks it from, like, the cafeteria, and then goes through the vent counting second by second, knowing how much time she has, drops the food down the vent, including the grossest thing i ever seen in a movie. She drops an egg.
2: <laughs> it's funny. You don't like eggs, though. Because the
1: egg immediately cracks, and then her friend is like, with, with my hands? Off the floor? And then she just starts eating egg with her hand. And then she has to, like, go back in time. And the second time she tries to do it, she's off on her timing. She gets caught. And that's when they put her in solitary. And she gets stuck between a rock and the hard place with the electroshocks and the potential lobotomy. So that's when they get the call. Hey, things are going real bad Rescue her. Doctor's gotten even worse. So they rescue her. They rescue her. Successfully, And the movie ends. They rescue her. There's a big shootout. The shootout
2: kills the bad guys. Yep. Like one by one. It All kills the doctor. And then Barbara Steele gets shot Perfect to death. Uh, and then they escape. The
1: end. It's one of those movies where they're like, <laughs> okay, I think the coast is clear. Like they they're doing the shootout, right. right? They shoot the final bad guy and they're like, okay, good. They get in the car. The movie ends. <laughs> Like, as they're, like, closing the door of the car, the credits start.
2: Yeah. It's weird. That's closure. Yeah, And, like, apparently Corman hated, he hated that in Crazy Mama they also get away with it. Uh Uh-huh. Like, at the end of Crazy Mama, they're just like, now we run a business. And he was like, what is this? Oh, well, I love that. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, that is clearly Demi kind of being, like, doing his own thing. Right. And being like, I don't know, why does it have to end with crime paying? What if they just got away with it?
1: Right. That's weird. Right. Like there's no atonement and there's no sort of punishment. There's
2: no atonement because they're. I mean, like, yeah. Right. I mean, what do they do? They committed some. Okay. Right. They committed some crimes. Yeah. They did a few murders. Yeah. I suppose that's bad. Right. But like the prison guys are bad too. Yes.
1: I don't know. Yeah, it's not a moralistic It's a, it's a movie. fucked up system.
2: Roll the credits. Yeah, yeah,
1: everything's bad. Uh, I liked it though. I like all the dream sequences. Also, the talent show sequence is incredible. Bizarre. There's this talent show sequence where they do a talent show seemingly like in the bathroom. So like all the stalls of the bathroom are like spray painted and it looks like, like some like 90s like uh, uh, New York off-off Broadway show. <laughs> and they're dressed up in drag doing like vaudeville routines. Uh, it's great. Uh, I forget all the graffiti they have on, um, the the stall doors, but there's like funny shit because then Crazy Mama also kind of repeats that with the Burma Shave signs that you keep on seeing, right? right. Him putting in these sort of like uh, non sequitur text jokes visually, right? Um, so that's Cage Heat. That's Cage Heat, and he is going to make his next film fighting Mad, which is. As you know, she's written. He—he he, he he wrote right.
2: Cage Heat. He wrote Fighting Mad. He's getting ready to make that
1: right. And I just want to uh, point out the uh, Fighting Mad Wikipedia just has like one paragraph, which is in making the film, bruce and Roger Corman analyzed three other recent low budget rural action thrillers that have been big hits: Billy Jack, Walking Tall, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. He deduced that they had three things in common: a hero with an offbeat sidekick an unusual mode of transport, and an interesting weapon. This is why the Peter Fonda character travels on an old motorcycle with his toddler son and uses a crossbow. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that last sentence is just crossbow so good. And
2: you know, that when I f- spooled it up, I was like, he's gonna have a crossbow the whole thing. Yeah. He only has a crossbow the last 10 minutes.
1: But you see him doing some yeah, archery training. I mean, you're getting I the idea of the arrows. He's an archer, David. Yeah. And I know. Um, and he has a but, son. But he doesn't get to make this movie next because what's happening... Big Bad Mama. Is that the, the title of the film, I believe
2: right? believe that. It, big Bad Mama, 1974, Corman Joint. Big
1: hit. And they're like, we need some of this. Big hit, big cast.
2: Do you know who's in that? Who? Angie Dickinson. Huge. William Shatner. What? Post-Star Trek. Wow. Tom Skerritt. Yeah. The legend, Uh huh. by the way. Yeah. When's Skerritt bad?
1: I've just been watching- I had never... disappointed. Brothers and Sisters? No, of course
2: not. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of an obscure TV show. I had, you watched I, that Pick Offense?
1: Pick other than random episodes, okay. I had stayed away from the post-Diane years of Cheers. Oh, sure, sure Because sure. I was such a Diane loyalist, and I'm not a huge Kirstie Alley fan. I was like, I don't want to watch the Rebecca Years.
2: Oh, you're fucked up. What do you
1: mean? She's great on I Cheers. finished Seinfeld, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to watch the Rebecca Years. I'm still not crazy about the character. I'm only in her first season.
2: I, she's awesome on Cheers. I mean, Kirstie Alley
1: herself, I guess is, she's made some bad movies. I think Shelley Long is awesome on Cheers. But, yeah, but it doesn't have to be a competition. It's not a competition, yeah. but I, 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 maybe the character makes more sense later. As of now, I'm not impressed,
2: but. I think she was kind of crucial for the show, though. It kind of needed a reset. I'm in
1: the transition, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. let's see. Uh, but Tom Skerritt is in that entire season. He's in like he six episodes. He shows up episodes. like six or seven hours. Yeah, yeah, He's uh, Drake, her yeah. Uh, boss. Yeah. And he's so fucking good on the show. He's
2: never bad. Skerritt is never bad. Steady hand. He is. I fucking love him. I mean, I like recently rewatched Top Gun because the trailer for Top Gun,
1: Maverick, Your favorite movie, got my dick so
2: hard. I'm, I'm so fucking basic. I watched
1: it with you the first time it came out, and you went like, eh, "I don't know." And right. then you have now watched it I four times and I was a like, minute. I was like, keep watching it. Yeah, I can't stop watching. It's so fucking
2: good. And I don't even love Top Gun, although on rewatch I was like, "This is kind of an incredibly impressive movie," even though it's also sort of total bullshit.
1: It's bullshit. It's like
2: half horseshit, but then it's also so like insanely well made. It's sort of right. the Tony Scott story, I guess. Right. Um, but Scarret amazing in it.
1: Yes. So fucking good. Yes. That's my main takeaway. And and Anthony Edwards is incredible in that one. I argue— Outrageously good. Everyone always says, like, well, that's just like Tom Cruise, like, hitting his apex moment. The he's, movie— He's good. Right. But he looks great. That movie would have grossed half as much as it did without Anthony Edwards. The effectiveness of that performance and what he contributes to the movie— He's fantastic. Because he's the only emotionally sincere element in the film. Right. He's the only person who's not a— Psycho, right? Everyone else in the movie is a sociopath,
2: <laughs> but um, I mean, but the secret of Top Gun is that it was not a huge box office hit, it was a solid box office hit. But that it was when it was released on VHS, they um priced it at eight dollars rather than like 40 or whatever VHS has cost, and everyone on earth bought it on VHS. My friend,
1: it was a huge box office success. No, it I wasn't. understand it was also a big VHS no, success, it was big, it was a huge box office success. Yeah, look it up. I'm going to look it up right now. Feel free to talk about anything else you want. I'm giving you 45 seconds of runway, no pun intended. All right, it was pretty big. Yep.
2: Yeah, it was pretty big. Why did I think it made half this? It's 184? 170-something.
1: Oh, wow, pretty massive.
2: Yeah, why did I think it made half that?
1: Because you're very wrong, and I knew what I was talking about. What am
2: I confusing it with, then? Risky Business? Maybe. Got to look it up. Risky
1: Business, I think, did like 50. Did you just say bottom?
3: Bottom arrow. Bottom oh, knife. He's trying to do bottom. the inverse. Oh,
2: I, oh Jesus! <laughs> <It> really <laughs> took me. As, like, bottom arrow was the first place you went. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ben <laughs> is resting his head against the microphone in a. I suppose I can call uh, a, a, a man quits. I, I was 100% <laughs> confusing. It was risky business. Yeah, right? Anyway. Yeah. Top Gun was like the number two film of its but year. But
2: that VHS fact is also and then, so much yes, fun.
1: No, right. and then it also just it then blew up after.
2: Everyone owns it on DHS. Yeah. We owned it. Yeah. Did you own it?
1: I didn't. My family had so few VHSes. Not a very
2: patriotic family, it sounds
1: like. No. Uh, with the Air Force. Uh, Jules and Jim.
2: That's a good movie.
1: Uh, Animal House. You're cutting all of this, right? Not keeping it all in. Uh, first Toy Story, first two Muppet movies, Space Jam, Mary Poppins. Those are the VHSs I remember as having. It, uh, for how much of an insane physical media hoarder I became later. I was about to say,
2: that's how long, didn't have like all Disney movies?
1: No, we did not. I don't.
2: I had like all the white clamshells. Yeah, you know, I those, cannot these. think,
1: and maybe I'm wrong here. I cannot think of a traditional Disney animated film that we had. We had the clamshells for the first two Muppet movies when Disney released them. We definitely had Mary Poppins. I watch that all the time. We must have had Wizard of Oz. I can't think, though, of anything beyond that. And I feel like my parents each owned one VHS. And then Austin Powers was kind of like, that was sort of... Yeah. I think we had three copies of Austin Powers.
2: (laughs) A lot of copies. (laughs) Crazy Mama. Okay. I was trying to find a Chloris Speechman pivot here, but I couldn't find one. Yeah. But Crazy
1: Mama. Yeah. Chloris Leachman, four years after she has won an Academy an, Award. An Oscar. Right.
2: She won an Oscar.
1: But this is kind of like. I think it's just like two
2: years, right? It's right after. Uh, When's
1: last last picture, picture, picture Show, 71. 71.
2: Yeah, so three years, yeah.
1: Three years, okay. Um, It, it is that thing like, uh, Ben, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? Yeah. I have not. So uh, the thing the movie gets at, which I think is interesting, uh, certainly of this time period, I think it's the thing the movie evokes the best, was the panic of all these people uh, trying to figure out how to uh, hold on to their power as a movie star, not just an actor, not a TV star, but the holy grail is to be a movie star, to star in pictures, and that idea of like, I would rather star in shitty movies where I get to be the lead. Al Pacino's big scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is all about, like, don't you want to win the fights? If you're on TV, you're playing the bad guy so that they can make some new up-and-comer it's a great, look tough It's a great
2: scene when Pacino lives By
1: beating gone. someone who used to right. be a movie you star. You
2: used to be famous. You get beaten up on screen. It means the other guy's a cool guy.
1: Right. right? Sure. Yeah. And they're like, but you're on big shows. Right. But they never keep you. Right. They pay you well, but you're the bad guy. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather go to Italy... And make four westerns for shitty money where you get to win the fights. Hmm. And the whole movie is him being like, oh, God, that seems low little rant. I like the idea of being a Hollywood guy. Uh, Cloris Leachman, I don't think, had the same kind of ego. But it is the same kind of thing of like, okay, here's a character actress mm-hmm. who won an Academy Award. A very, very warranted Academy Award Great performance. for an incredible, unshowy performance. Her only
2: in, in the last picture show, made by Corman devotee uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, which uh, Which she's phenomenal in but you're right it's not like a movie where she cries and screams in the middle and you're like oh my god what a powerhouse
1: performance she plays a lady who's a little older and a little sad that is a movie I watch about once every 18 months I think it's about as perfect as things get it's a great movie but I remember the first time I saw it when I was in high school I was like She's the one who won for this, right? Because like Sybil Shepherd is so like big. And Ellen full. Burstyn is Ellen like Burstyn unbelievable. is incredible in it. She told you to try Eileen silence. Brennan. She told me to try Silence. <laughs> I mean, like every there's so many loud performances. It's Jeff Bridges like emerging as a fully formed I mean, movie he's star. So handsome, right, right, and the Cloris Leachman performance like I didn't get when I was 15 because it's really quiet and I had not experienced the depths of loneliness and sadness that that performance is evoking. It
2: is still though just a great Oscar win. Oh, an amazing it's, it's a great Oscar, win.
1: Oscar win, and you know, she's also
2: the record holder for Emmys for wins, nominations, or wins. both. Really,
1: tied with she has eight Fuck. Emmy wins, eight for uh, acting. Okay, know. but all spread out, right? Like some guest stars. Some did she win a bunch of times for Mary Tyler Moore? She
2: won at least like twice for Mary Tyler Moore. She won for a performance on the Cher show. Okay. She won for a performance at the Screen Actors Guild 50th anniversary. Yeah, you know, like she won for wow. Malcolm in the Middle a couple of times. You know, yeah, like spread out. She won the
1: for the, f- the Screen Actors Guild 50th. Anniversary. Well, yeah, she okay. did. I don't know. She probably came out right. and Malcolm sang in the Middle. The she was really song. good. Incredible. Malcolm in the Middle. And Raising Hope, which I think incredible it was, on Raising uh, Hope. Yeah, an underrated, underrated show. Uh, Jinx, you owe me a um, raspberry coffee. Gross. Okay. Uh, you can keep it. But Mary Tyler Moore starts 69. Sure. Yeah, why are we No, it. because I'm interested in the Chloris Leachman timeline uh, where it's 70, like, think, 70, okay. 19, but she's already been on Mary but Tyler but Moore for in a year. She's more the
2: early seasons. She's a oh, later She comes on, on post
1: Oscar yeah. win? Yeah, she's in the later. Like, right? She's not.
2: Jesus, now we have to delve into Mary Tyler Moore's zone.
1: My point uh, here is yeah. Chloris Leachman has already won an Oscar, right? Yeah. yeah she's yeah, on yeah. a massive sitcom. Mm-hmm. But. I
2: think she's always around. The she's appeal just,
1: of you get to be the star of a movie. You know, is pretty. I think uh, hard to pass up. So her appearing in a core movie, which in certain ways play a
0: badass,
1: feels beneath her. In another way, it's like the studios are never going to give her that shot. You know, last picture show I didn't make her a leading lady. Um,
2: still haven't guessed that other record holder.
1: Though. Okay, other record holder, male or Eight female? Ma- female. It's another female. Eight acting wins. Still alive. Very much so. Very much so. But more alive than ever. More alive than it's weirdly ever. Weirdly a clue. Betty Wyatt?
2: No. No, she's very old.
1: It's weirdly a clue?
2: Yeah. I didn't mean it to be, but it is.
1: More alive than ever. Did she have a near death experience? Correct. She did. Sort of. Recently? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ben, are, do you see who it is? No, he doesn't know. It's well, in my head, baby. Would he know the near-death experience? Like, is it Maybe. a big enough story that Ben would
2: know? It was in the news. I think so. It was in the news. But when I say near-death experience, I don't mean, like, she almost, like, drove her car off yeah. a bridge. Like, she had a public battle with death. An illness? Yeah. Oh, is it Julia Louis-Dreyfus?
0: That we makes stay sense. a legend.
2: Who I believe has, I think it's four for Veep. Yeah. Three for Seinfeld. And then that sneaky one for <laughs> old Christine. <laughs>
0: David just made such a sneaky
2: face. I always get so annoyed when people are like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, legend, starts her career at SNL, then there's Seinfeld. Yeah. And then Veep is amazing. I'm like, she did five seasons of a fucking fantastic network right. sitcom that, like, no one remembers. She hit 100 episodes. And she won an Emmy. And won an Emmy. And, like, Wanda Sykes and Clark Gregg and, all, and like, right. Hamish Linklater,
1: all these funny yeah. people were on it. It was great. And it also came out of, like, everyone being like, it was fucking Seinfeld Yeah, curse. when Seinfeld she won curse. the Emmy, she like, for that one, she was like, fuck the Seinfeld curse. Like, yeah. that was still a
2: concept. Yes. And now, like, everyone's doing fine. She's doing fine. Seinfeld's doing fine. Jason Alexander's Nickelback videos. Uh, Oh, Oh, should I stop talking? Uh,
1: Michael Richards. Michael Richards, he's a, oh. uh, oh. Has his health, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
3: Footage not found. Uh,
1: Alex Fryer, who's a a great uh, comedian at Chicago, uh, he tweeted recently, and I had just completed my Seinfeld rewatch, and he was like, I wonder all the time what Michael Richards does on a day-to-day basis. And I have the same thought like watching those episodes i was like it must be weird because he has pretty much not even attempted to come back and as we've seen in recent years like most of the canceled men take like four to six hours before they like go like (laughs) i'm ready i'm back after being publicly assassinated right i'm on my comeback tour right or I call you all cucks. Or after publicly assassinating someone else, <laughs> right. I took a timeout. After a quick five, I'm ready to star in movies again. But Michael Richards, like, did one season of the Kirstie Alley sitcom. Uh, yeah. And that arc on Curb, where he plays himself and tries to, like, address the scandal, which I thought was the clunkiest thing Curb has ever done. It wasn't great. Um, And other than that, has just, like, not existed for... A decade now.
2: He's in that wild episode of Comedians in Cars getting coffee which is where all... he is so
1: fucking crazy. And Seinfeld trying to rehabilitate Seinfeld, him. And Seinfeld's like just relax. It's alright. Like the world's not ending. Half that episode scripted. Like he yeah, keeps on pretending weird. like we gotta go meet Jose cycle. Yeah right. Or whatever. Have you seen it?
2: Yeah it's sad. There's just a moment where Jerry Seinfeld is driving with him and he's freaking out about you know Richard just yeah. freaking out about and Jerry Seinfeld just goes like it's been raining on the car and he's like we're all just raindrops on a windshield. Michael. Yeah, we'll just go away. The episode also ends with (laughs) them leaving,
1: leaving the coffee shop and, like, people start, like, swarming Michael Richards, asking for autographs, and then it, like, cuts like, a montage of, like, people coming up and laughing and taking pictures with him. And then it's, like, Jerry in voiceover going, like, and I saw how much joy Michael brings to people. He really is a bright light in this universe. He needs to be out here. Like, it's, like, him trying to, like, character witness at a parole hearing. But even that was, like, first season of that show, and he just, like, you know, I'm sure he has ungodly amounts of money. The check never stops coming in. But I do wonder, especially because he is one of the guys who seemingly kind of, like, took his lumps and was like, I don't know, maybe I just shouldn't be in the public eye anymore. What does he do on a day-to-day basis? Is he just, like, really into fucking pottery now, you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he makes a lot of money. I'm just curious. You should ask him. Uh, I will. Give
2: him a call. Uh
1: by the way, uh Michael Richards will be our guest on the Last Embrace Citizens Band episode. No, no he, he won't.
3: won't. No, he won't. Nope. We said that at the same time. Nope.
1: I'm just kidding. Of course, our guest is Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so Crazy Mama, Cloris Leachman gets to do this film, which was supposed to be directed by Oh, actually, I don't know. You don't know this. Uh oh, Shirley Clark. Mm-hmm. Huh.
2: Famous indie filmmaker.
1: Yeah. Pretty ultra indie filmmaker. Most of her films were never allowed to be released theatrically. Why? Uh, Because they were provocative. Too sexy. (laughs) Too sexy. I'm sure when you say indie,
3: this is like a concept that maybe I'm not like. She was genuinely
1: indie. indie. She was genuinely indie and sort of like pre-indie American cinema being a real thing. So she was very much a maverick. And she was not indie in the way that like Roger Corman was indie selling schlock to B theaters. She was making like ultra button pushing provocative films independently financed that were very well regarded in like artistic communities and uh, would get written up more for controversies than anything else. But what she was doing was more equivalent to like, you know, in terms of how they were being um, absorbed and discussed. Like museum installations,
2: right? It's like uh, it's non-narrative. It's weird, right. sound video art. Yeah, it's sort of right.
1: It's no, like I mean Warhol. Well, no, or she whatever. was making like feature-length films. I mean, her first big breakthrough, one of the ones she got nominated for an Oscar for, was about the construction of a building, right? I mean, it was sort of like the way that Andy Warhol was like, oh, I'm just going to film the Empire State I believe, Building for skyscrapers, eight hours. Skyscrapers, the yes. name of it, yeah, right.
2: Uh, that's like a short film. Right. But you know, she did like a short film, famous, I've seen it at a museum, I believe, Dance in the Sun, right? Which is yeah. like crazy dancing
1: and I don't know. But she made some feature films, she made yeah. some narrative films, but she was always kind of hitting hot button things and pushing the limits. But was someone who was a clearly a very skilled filmmaker and Roger Corman was like, I'm going to let you make like a movie right. that will get released in theaters and make money and without any further information I could find, they had a disagreement like four weeks before filming started. And Demi's ready to do and Mad, and he goes like, can you take over this movie? Right. And that's what I think makes this movie kind of interesting. Yeah. Is because the other two, Demi is designing them from the ground up, mm-hmm. and he's trying to make a way that fulfills what he needs. This is a movie he inherited. Right. And so he directs it with a kind of sense of abandon, of just like, I don't know, what's like a fun thing I can do today? Sure. And the movie's a mess. It's weird, but there are like twenty-seven ideas per scene. Can I ask what's the game of Mama? Okay, what's so, like her deal? Her it's plan. a mother, a grandmother, and a daughter. But,
2: and the first scene lays out the grandmother's, which is crazy, like origin. The story. first scene is
1: like pretty austere and dramatic, which is like the grandmother's Each husband of these movies getting kind of have down. the fa-
2: same setup. Yes, it's sort of like some quote unquote like rural American, right? You yeah. know. In not maybe not so much, but like like the man fucking with some poor mercilessly person,
1: sho- shoots like, down someone in cold blood. Right. And the first one, the cops catch him and she
2: goes to jail and they shoot her boyfriend. Right. The second one, like some people take their uh, land, right? Like evil landowners. You're
1: talking about Crazy Mama, Crazy Mama, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: right? Like they shoot her uh, dad, right you know, because, like, they haven't paid the rent or whatever. Because right. then like, fighting
1: Mad yeah. is also landing. Fighting Mad is the same right. fucking thing, yeah. But it's like someone losing someone very close to them who is sort of murdered by the the man, you know, 100%. so to speak. Like the boot of society. And uh, the all three movies are people sort of reacting and losing their minds a little bit right. in the wake of that. But Crazy Mama sets up that there's sort of, like, It's almost like a family curse. Like, all of these women are, like, doomed to continue losing the men they love. Be they father figures, be they romantic partners. And then they feel a little sad. They feel a little sad. They're like, that's too bad. He was a nice guy. He was all right to me. But the thing that makes the movie (laughs) kind Mm -hmm. of interesting to Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. is that you have Cloris Liegeman, who's this fucking heavyweight, right, playing the kind of role she doesn't usually get to play. And, you know, she's the leading lady. She has, like, sexual agency, which in most movies she's the joke or the sad sack, right? Especially as she got older, she became right. Right,
2: like the a, wacky, oh, the horny old lady. old lady, sort of a Betty White type.
1: Right, right which of course you Betty know Betty White kind of ripped her whole fucking thing off to be yes. honest. Even though they were both in Married... To well, here's why I think the difference is. Yeah, Betty White kind of plays the innocent, like she doesn't yeah, yeah, realize yeah, yeah, yeah. what she's saying is provocative. Sure. Cloris Leachman's like just she pure was salt, salty old broad. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> of course, <it laughs> hits, fucking love Chloris hits Leachman. its apex in Spanglish. Spanglish, Spanglish. remember Leone's Spanglish? Of course, right. In Favorite a movie. SAG-nominated performance.
2: I believe that's correct. In
1: an AARP-winning performance? Yes. Remember. Yes. For best performance ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they gave it. But but They were like, uh, best performance ever? That yeah. was their reaction. There are these scenes that are clearly written as just sort of like table setting of just like, well, that husband left me, or like this man got shot, or her father ran out, or whatever. And then Cloris Leachman will occasionally just, like, stare off into the middle distance. (laughs) Yep. And in a way that's not overly dramatic, but is truly like she's just getting lost in her memory, just kind of takes stock of the life she's lived while reciting what is pretty boilerplate dialogue. But it suddenly is this, like, emotional pocket drop thing that you're like, this is some combination of either Leachman went there and Demi didn't stop her or Demi saying, hey, what if you played this scene real? But either way, it feels like something that probably kind of affected Demi. Of just like, wait a second, you can just do that. You can make a movie that's like weird and wild and then have moments of like completely genuine grounded emotion in it, which really sets the tone for like the run of Melvin and Howard, something wild married to the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, because this movie has that same kind of chaotic yes, energy does. that those three very films have. Very chaotic,
2: very uh, manic, right? Pixie, but not pixie, right? And
1: manic. If- Trash,
0: yeah, I guess. But right? also,
1: just that it feels like a circus. Mm-hmm. You watch these movies, you watch those movies, and I love *Rachel Getting Married* because I think it's like a mature filmmaker trying to come back Funny to man. that vibe. Yeah, a masterpiece. But um you watch those movies and you go, like, this movie looks like it was so much fun to make. And so yeah, often sure. that's the fallacy of like, if a movie looks fun, it was difficult. It was difficult. And they were like shoestring,
2: and everything was right. hard, and it was hot, and they, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But like these movies, you're like. This feels like these are the performances that come out of actors who feel very safe and protected, who are having fun with each other, who feel supported by a director. The scenes are like weird little like sentence fragments. There's like so little narrative follow-through on so many elements of the film that it just feels like him being like, I don't know, why don't we like do a scene like this? Like it feels like very like throw shit at the wall, see what happens. But the bulk of the movie is. You know, uh, matriarch, daughter, grand matriarch in a car together on a crime spree. And they just decide, like, what if we just commit a ton of crimes? They kind of just decide to go on a crime spree. What if we just, like, steal cars and rob banks and shoot people? And, like, I don't know. Let's see how far it can go. It
2: it sort of escalates. It's like they run a beauty parlor. Yeah. After this tragedy is visited upon their family generation ago.
1: Right. They run a beauty parlor. That happens pre credits and then you present day. Here's the beauty parlor. Bad and luck at this time. And and Linda family. Pearl and right. Landlord comes. Where's the rent?
2: I don't got it. I've been there. Yeah. Well, yeah. uh, fuck yeah. I'm taking, you got to repossess the place. You're yeah. not paying the rent. So they chase the, the landlord, mm-hmm. including the, the
1: baby daddy of the youngest. Right. The youngest girl is now pregnant. She's as just a gotten
2: knocked up. So she's got this like boyfriend who's all moon eyed for and
1: her. And it's like, here's the cycle repeating because there's like 17 years between each of the women in this film in terms of age, pretty much, right? So you're like, here's the cycle repeating. She's got this boyfriend who is literally uh, Ralph Malph from Happy Days. Oh, boy. Right? The dorkiest yeah. member right. of the Happy Days totally. crew. Sure. And he's
2: just like, right, he's, he's in love with what's-her-pants. And so right, and he's like, like, oh, I got to so get they,
1: married now. And she's like, I'm want to fucking marry you. <laughs> and he's like, come on, what are you doing here? You're making me look stupid. And she's like, I'm young. I'm trying to have fun. So they chase the
2: landlord around. They ram his car and shit. And then it just, yeah, they're just like, you know what? We got screwed
1: over right. by yeah. the man yeah. way just, back
2: when. We just yeah. committed a
1: crime. Why we fucked with this guy.
2: The right. cops might be on us anyway. Why don't we rob everything we incite so that we can like take back our original property, Yeah. which is like God the fuck knows
1: where. Right. And go on a crime spree. But that's the idea. Is like that's pretty much the whole concept, right? Right. right. The family's curse started it's at not this easy moment. Easy to
2: follow this movie. No, but at that all. is
1: sort of the concept, right? But like the family's curse started at the moment that their property was seized and the father was shot, right? Yeah. So they're like, we're justified. Like reparations, we can do whatever the fuck we want to to get back our land. Is sort of the idea of the movie, right? Um, but along the way, the teenage girl meets like a biker boy who she loves. And he ends up joining them. So both her baby daddy and this biker boyfriend are there. And she keeps on oscillating between the two of them. I like the biker boyfriend. I think he's kind of cute. So do you know the story about him? Uh, No. He is Cloris Leachman's real life son. Huh. He wanted to be an actor. This was pretty much his biggest role. And eight years later, he died at the age of 30 in a YMCA from an overdose of ulcer medication which is one of the saddest things I've ever heard. Yeah,
2: that's serious.
1: That's a sad. really dire combination of that's elements. no good. It's not like if you took more, right. your ulcer gets so It's not so like taking a bunch of painkillers. Killer pain right, and I right. think he had a young daughter from an estranged wife, and he moved to be closer to them, so Ooh. that's why he was staying at the YMCA. The whole thing was bleak, but he's really good in this,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, it's good. kind of sad Very that he charmed. never
1: got another part after that. Brian this. Engel. Brian England. England. So apparently the whole thing was he didn't want to uh, – he sort of pushed away his mother because he didn't want to feel like he got success off of her back. Um, it's like a yeah, really, really uh, sad story. He's really good in this and this movie has like a 1974 Thrupple. Uh, yes, it does. And it's kind of just how it is. Right, and there's a scene. She's kind
2: of like, that's going to be the vibe. Where she's in bed with both I of them. I want both of you. Right. And
1: Ralph mouth is like, I can't believe I'm agreeing to this. Right, right. And the other guy's like, yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> Snake, I believe but is But what feels kind of progressive about it is the movie isn't like siding with Ralph Malth. Right. The movie's like, I don't know, whatever. We're all having fun <laughs> robbing people. But then, just as in Caged Heat, they uh, get away with it. McCloris Leachman meets... Sort of one of her lost loves that got away.
2: Yeah, played by Stuart Whitman, you mean? Yes, uh, Jim who's Bob. excellent in this.
1: Uh, you also, uh, the landlord who's tracking them down at the beginning of the movie is... That's Dick Miller, right? Or no, Dick Miller's in this movie. It's the detective at the He's end. He's the detective, right? Right,
2: right? Who's the landlord?
1: Is, is it not uh, Jim Backus? Yes, it's Jim Backus. Who is literally right. Mr. Magoo. Right. Jim Backus, who is the millionaire from Gilligan's Island. He's the, the Island. voice of Mr. Magoo. So it's old man Jim Backus going like... Come back here with my ranch. Also, apparently John Milius plays a cop. He does. Yeah. Very, very he visibly. Shot. He's yeah. one of the cops who's yeah. like in the shootout at the end. They get away Big with beer it. beer and aviator sunglasses. That's great. They get away with it and then the end There's of the movie. There's a whole movie, Vegas sequence. Yeah. We
2: haven't really talked about that where they're gambling. That part's fun. Oh, yeah. the way they And they keep saying the, the the slogans. Yeah. Like the lady keeps saying some like sort of motto. Well,
1: the thing that kind of does them in. Also, right, what
2: about that lady Bernice in Caged Heat? I forgot to mention her.
1: Which lady is Bernice?
2: Remember in Caged Heat when they they stick up the um, prison van, uh-huh. and she's like, strangely enough, she's like, "Hi, my name's Crazy. What's your name?" And she's yeah. like, "Bernice." Great scene. Great scene.
1: Um, that's Walk a great me thi-
3: through these
1: crimes. That's a great thing. Oh, in they stick up a yeah. gas station. One. Right. <laughs> Cloris Leachman runs into this lost love of hers, right? And they're like, second time. This is meant to be. Let's get hitched. By the way, I have a wife. <laughs> and so, like, the thing that does them in is that his wife is like, where the fuck is this guy? Right, right. Try and track him down so when the cops find him and they're like, he married some other lady. And now also we've realized these are the people who have been, like, robbing all these things. Right. Um, oh, wait. Caged Heat is the one that has the scene where they rob a bank. They go in to rob a bank, Mm. and it turns out the bank is already being robbed. Right. And they're like, oh, fuck. And you can hear the sirens coming. Right. That's when they have to shoot some cops. Well, no, no. No? You hear the sirens coming, and they're like, fuck, we're stuck in here. We haven't even committed the crime. Someone called the cops on the previous guys committing this crime. What are we going to do? And the one woman just shoots the bank robbers. Right. So they all hear the guns, and then they just walk out with the money. Because the cops show up and think like, well, it's these guys who got shot. They're the pink robbers. <laughs> There's like a the logic of that is. Mm. It's kind of fun when you see it in the scene. It doesn't really make sense. It's a little stinker move. But Crazy Mom, yeah, the crimes, I mean, it's, like, a lot of, like, they, they, what, they uh, pretend that the old lady is having, the mom is having a heart attack. That's a good scam. Bring her to the stock room, and then they immediately stick him up. You know, I mean, it's, like, a lot of, like, environmental, but it's, like, kind of like petty robbery. And he's, like, I only have $60. And they're, like, yeah, then give us $60. a lot of LSM. LSM? Little sneaker moves. Little sneaker moves. A lot of LSMs. Um... Let's talk about the last one. Yeah, but, but, but course, it. Leachman you has like this it. astounding of pathos, and the, the end of the film is them uh, just all have wigs and change names. They've dyed their hair, I guess, and built new identities, right? Right. And they're working on a truck. Right. It's like a food truck? Yeah, they have a little food business. They have a little food truck. But, notably, this final moment, and you assume that this is one of those things where it's just like, well, like, lack of time, rush shoot, what have you. This is what he came to, but then this becomes one of his signature moves. Uh, this final sequence of them working the food truck is all first-person POV camera, mm-hmm. which then becomes Demi's, like, signature, like, trump card with Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Of, like, the characters are looking you straight in the eye. The Demi close-up. So the end of the movie is, a, a, you know, a group shot of all of them looking at you and trying to serve you and be like, what do you want? How can we help you? Um I do love that thing about watching like weird genre movies like this where like it makes you think about movies so much when you watch films that didn't have the time Have you seen Boxcar Bertha? I have.
2: Yeah, I mean that's another one.
1: Right, yeah. but when you're like, "Oh, I'm really thinking about movies because this is a movie that didn't have the time to get all the pieces they needed to make this movie." Mm-hmm. Anyway, the third film is called Fight Matt. Yeah. You just watched this. Film. I just watched this. I had trouble getting it. This right. is the one that's uh uh, Not available on streaming platforms. At all. Right. But as far as I can tell. You found a torrent and the file wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I finally got it to work at the last possible minute. Yeah, I was watching Hustlers,
2: getting texts from Griffin. Oh, how was it? Uh, Hustlers, which by this point is out and has had, you know, success or not success. I but, think uh, it'll be successful. So I think if J-Lo doesn't get an Oscar nomination, somebody really? fucked up. Genuinely,
1: yeah. I'll say this: I saw the trailer the other day, and I was like, "Wait a second, is J Lo going to get an Oscar nomination this year?" And I got so excited about the prospect easy. that I didn't even want to put it out into the world. You think it's like a slam dunk? It should be. I think that she's at
2: a point in her career where it yeah. seems like you could sort of make the kind of argument of like, "Hey, J Lo's never been Oscar nominated. Right. She's enduring. She's been in great movies. She's been in bad movies, sure, but yeah. you know." And it's just one of those movies when she's not in the movie, you're kind of like. What's, what's J-Lo doing though? Like, can we get back to her? Like, what's up with J-Lo? j pretty cool, right? But she's kind
1: like, of back in like a, a fucking out of sight mode. She's, no, she's in I that mean, pocket. It's, no, it's
2: very, she's playing a
1: bomb ass stripper who yeah. does crimes, like, you
2: know, and is kind of like the den, you know, the hen mother, or whatever, right? Like, of this sort of,
1: stripper cadre. <laughs> I have not seen the film. You have. You said if she doesn't get it, someone fucked up. It's yeah. STX, which STX. has had zero they success had with of success, Oscar campaigns. Right. Um, but my fear is that it will probably be like a McConaughey Magic Mike thing. Yeah. Where everyone's like, how the fuck did they not nominate her for that? But it gives her like three good new roles to play and then one of them ends up being the Maybe. Jennifer Lopez. Supporting
2: actress might be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. She'd be supporting break. or
1: lead? Oh, it's supporting. 100%. Okay, cool. Constance is the lead. Yeah. And she's fine. Anyway, I was watching this and I was like, is there any way to make this type of movie today and sure. not make it feel like some sort of piece of like- Oh, uh, probably not. Sociopolitical agaprop. And I don't think you can.
2: Um... But, like you say, this is also Can art not be political right now.
3: No, it can't.
1: all
2: art is political. Uh, that's,
3: that's no, I mean true. it's genuinely that's like, you yeah. can't all,
1: all art is political. All art has always been political. Yeah. Art that tries to be apolitical is being political by choosing to ignore the realities of the world we live in. Sure. it is the thing that drives me crazy, especially when it comes to the subject of the franchises that people act like are now being taken over by like fucking agendas. When like Marvel was based around civil rights. Like Stan Lee was like the biggest fucking social justice warrior yeah, in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Star Wars is about fascism. All right, all right, all right, all right. enough. We've talked about this. Cut it out, Cut it is bad. Mm-hmm. No, no, no,
0: bad. Cut that all out.
1: It's cut that out.
3: It's, it's bad. bad the world, bad. It's bad. It's the world bad. is bad, it's bad as it's so it's bad. So bad. Fucking Shut up, Shut up. Keep <laughs> it in
1: and triple. God, that was awful. Okay, so fighting mad is about a rural man who's been living that city life with his toddler.
2: Okay. He he's played like his, by um, Peter Fonda.
1: Peter Fonda, the recently passed, Rip. less yeah. recently passed Rip. by the time this episode comes out. Um, who has been in Corman's famous movie, The Wild Angels, where he's right. like, we want
2: to get loaded, and we want to have a good time. You know, like, that's a great. And
1: scene. Peter Fonda's career arc is kind of fascinating because he's the son it's of easy one of the great movie stars ever. Correct. And one of those guys where it's like, man, the shadow of his dad looms. So fucking large.
2: right, but then in the '60s, almost as a result, and because of the movies he makes, he becomes like a counterculture right. leading
1: man. He does his run of his like dad was to just such
2: a square jawed golden age leading ultimate, man, sort of like and innocent. Peter Fonda becomes the like yeah the hippie leading man, right.
0: right?
1: But that's the thing; he does his like four or five years as a young actor of like appearing on TV shows and movies, playing like the types of roles his father played, right. and it doesn't really connect. And meanwhile, in his personal life, he's, like, doing acid and, like, riding a motorcycle. And people are like, what's up with this scoundrel Fonda? You see, Fonda's kid, he grew his hair out another half inch. It's past the top of his ears now. And he kind of changes everything by choosing to embrace it rather than succumb and be like, not only am I going to not stop doing this shit in my personal life, I'm going to start making movies about it. Right. And Corman's the first guy who's kind of responsive to it because he recognizes that there is a cultural shift happening. A cultural shift that Corman's not keyed into at all in a way that he can relate. But he understands that Fonda has this energy of a generation that's about to take over. Right. And so, right, he gets big because uh, whatever that first film, uh, I'm forgetting the name now, uh, the, the one you just said. the oh, The Wild movie. Angels? Yeah. Yes. They catch George Chakarras. Ch- Chakarras. Uh, Peter Fonda was supposed to be a secondary character, right. and but then Peter they realized Fonda could ride a motorcycle. And that's like a Hell's Angel movie? Yeah. Exactly. They realized that Tricaris could not ride a bike, and Fonda could. So they were like, cool, we don't have time to teach you to ride a bike. Tricaris, you're fired, <laughs> despite being an Academy Award winner. Yeah. Fonda's kid, you're the lead of the movie now. Yeah.
2: And then Fonda was in
1: Easy Rider. The trip. Yeah, I mean, you know, all uh, these what else? dirty, dirty Mary, crazy Larry, uh, open season. He inspires the line, I know what it's like to be dead. Sure, he gave the Beatles and, uh, acid. he said, she said. Uh, that was a thing that uh, Peter Fonda said to Paul McCartney yeah. while tripping. Because he'd had a near-death
2: experience as a child. I think he had like a heart attack or something. Yeah, like that. Some heart thing. Anyway, doesn't matter. Fast I will say, but you're talking point, about politics, yeah. but this movie – is kind of just a pastiche because it is just like Corman watching Billy Jack and being yeah. like, yeah, let's do a Billy Jack. Right, it's one of these. So it's not really very political except for that rich people are bad, which, yeah. I mean, is true in like a lot of exploitation movies. because Rich that's, people, the that's man. The other it's like th- the
3: co- kind of almost classic conflict.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's either cops or it's like guys in suits who are like, we love money. And you're like.
1: But that's the it's other weird thing. It's no. corporation in the way that no, we no, see it. No, no, it's tycoons. It's, tycoons. Like, yes. you know, like, it's exactly. land barons. Yes. Right. yes. right. So there's that thing which makes it kind of apolitical. And the other thing is uh, all of the rural characters in this movie would probably be written off as liberal elites now. Yeah, right. You know, despite the fact that they're like living on a farm. Like Fonda got glasses and he's like, Well, you know, I did my years of city living and I'm just moving back here now. He's and got it's a kid. like right. This is like the most square of his performances from this time period where every mm-hmm. other movie he's playing like some kind of radical hippie. And this one he's like a dude in Oxford. Shirt. I kind of like
2: that about this. I do though, too. It's it is sort of like, right, like what if like the most chill fucking hippie right. guy in the world was pushed too far?
1: He's right, almost yeah. it's almost a very like a much smaller scale kind of Hoffman Straw Dogs kind of thing, or
2: it's like Yuli's gold, but Yuli picks up a bow and arrow. Right,
1: he looks like Yuli in this way. He's Little like bit. the adventures of young Yuli.
2: Yuli's gold origins, yeah. Yuli's silver.
1: Uh, but but yeah, yeah, and it's like, uh, the people in the town aren't depicted as stereotypes because Jonathan Demme has no interest in doing that. the The land people are incredibly evil and callous. Yeah, they're not very nice. <laughs> no. Um, but yes, they, they want to develop. They're trying to kick people off their land and if they won't sell, they will send in their thugs to suicide them. Yeah. And they kill Scott Glenn and who's his brother. He's just uh, gotten back home, reconnected with, with his again. father. Right. And, uh, yes, they, they suicide Scott Glenn and his wife. Right. They, uh, enter the home while they're making love.
0: <gasps> they're nude. Uh,
1: they attack them. Uh, She tries to fight back by uh, burning one of the thugs' faces with an iron, which he just uh, sports for the rest of the movie a giant iron mark on his face. Uh, Pretty rad. Kind of cool. Uh, But then they, like, bind them and knock them out and put them in a car and drive the car off a cliff. Yeah. And Peter Fonda's like, uh, my – brother and uh, He totally did not kill himself or have a car accident. Yeah. And they were like, "Well, I don't know, what like, you're oh, this looks about. pretty case closed to me." And he was like, "I went to his house, the iron was on, like she was like cooking dinner. Why would they in the middle of that leave and go drunk driving as you claim?" And he's like, <laughs> "I don't know, but they did." And he's like, "Well, my sister-in-law was allergic to alcohol." And the guy's like, "Well, malarkey." And Peter Fonda realizes, "Oh, nothing's going to get done about this." Right. And not only that, this guy's going to circle in. He's going to go after every remaining plot of land, including what my father owned. And I just got away from big city living because I thought I wanted to be where the air is pure and the grass is green. But in fact, this whole country is rotten.
2: So uh, he kills him with a bow and arrow. Yeah,
1: that's pretty much the movie. Right?
2: That's kind of the problem is the back half is just not. I was expecting a long rampage. Yeah, and it takes
1: forever for to either. get to it in, in the movie. It's like eighty-eight minutes right, long. It's like a out long a house, movie. it's like a lot of the movie is just him trying to like load the arrow. Yeah. And, then, and, and then, like when he finally crossbows. wails on him and arrows them. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, and they have that cool like house that they're in with like right. a pool. Right. Fuck those guys. Right. He gets I'm hit- glad
1: they got arrowed. He gets hurt pretty badly, yeah, and shot. you're like, oh, man, is he going to die? And then the movie just f- The movie forward. ends with him being loaded into an ambulance, and right, yeah. Right, but then it just and flashes just like, forward to yeah. him walking through the field with this on in the credits roll, and it's like, oh, I guess it got better.
3: They're all kind he of, of the same back. vibe.
1: Yeah. They're all the same vibe, but they're— I'm
2: kind of glad we made him put him together, because, yeah, they're—
3: God. So, fighting mad, mm-hmm. he's mad, and he's— not going to stand for it anymore. He's going to fight back. He's not fighting
1: calmly. You know what I'm saying? He's uh-huh. fighting mad
2: yeah. So this is the beginning of our Demi miniseries. Yeah, is a little files of paperwork. It's he's like,
1: been, oh, he's an interesting director. Movie.
2: Yes. We're going to go all over the map with this fucking guy. We're going right. to have all kinds of actors to talk about, all yes. kinds of genres, all mm-hmm. kinds of eras in Hollywood. Yeah. He's done everything. Yeah. Except for, I guess, like, you know, a fucking Marvel movie. But, like, you know, he, he did everything. Yeah. He really did...
1: He, I, get, I guess he never made, like, a
2: balls-to-the-wall action
1: movie. But there's well, That's a, about it. There's a little bit of him like the Ang Lee thing where, like, all of his films feel either personal or very much uh, marked by his, um, you know, specific, um, you know, sort of uh, technical flourishes and stylistic signatures and all of that. But he was a guy where you look at this filmography and you're like, this feels like a guy who could have worked in the 40s. Yes. Because he just adapted to whatever the thing
2: was. It's true. And yet, I mean, the conundrum we're going to solve with him or like think yeah. about is like partly what, one, like what made him so iconic given the fact that he adapted into all this stuff. Right. And apart, you know, and yeah, like how is he an influence
1: on two of the biggest filmmakers of today? That's the thing. Barry Jenkins, Barry Jenkins and Paul and Thomas Anderson, Anderson both yeah. kind of set him as like, yeah, he was sort of the guy.
2: He is like there, you know, I mean PTA is
1: very upfront,
2: dedicates yeah. movies to him, right? Yeah. Like Barry Jenkins, I mean the close ups, like the looking down the camera, like there's so much right. you can obviously and he talks about it too. Right. And then yeah, I guess the demi close up is sort of a And then also he basically invented an entire genre, which is the like the concert movie. Right. He like invented that. With what? stop making making sense sense. I mean obviously like concert movies existed before the the big suit movie yeah Yeah. fucking heads yeah you're gonna fucking love it he kind of turns it into like it's like you didn't just shoot a concert like outside it becomes like a movie it becomes something more thematic Yeah. so it's fascinating The Last
1: Waltz had already happened at that point no no, yeah of course there's been like Woodstock and The Last Waltz and you know yeah but I, you know what I
2: mean, though. Yes. Where it's like
1: talking, uh, stop making sense is kind of its own beast, and yeah. it's it's one it's of, the of the first like concert by
2: David Byrne. It's sort of. got
1: like really interesting stylistic choices. Love that. Love that. Uh, it's a masterpiece, and we'll talk about it. Um, we're not going to talk about most of the documentaries because he made too many fucking things. Yeah, I might watch some of them. We'll see. Yeah, I might try to find time. Uh, this like, is a long filmography. We're going to cover a lot of different things. I do think what you're saying, though, the arc is fascinating because yeah. these do not feel like three films from a man who will direct one of the most dominant Oscar films of all time. And not only that, the most unconventional dominant Oscar film of all time. But then after that, he enters a period of kind of being the most kind of like classical, prestige-y, oscar baby kind of guy, Mm -hmm. at least in how his films uh, play, Mm -hmm. even if they do have their own integrity, you know? And then he's sort of in the wilderness for the better part of the 2000s. Um, yeah, but he we'll comes from that. like trash to then being like the top of the heap trash to top to back to middle
0: yeah and then
1: always making interesting but like stuff. big budget studio middle yeah it's a weird filmography and we're gonna get into it because you picked it
2: now this is the one where we're not gonna play conventional box office game because I just can't find data that far back okay. and also these movies barely had conventional releases but yeah come on let's play like year box office games yeah let's
1: games. do it okay 1974. 1974
2: give me the top five movies in 1974 Number one, iconic uh-huh. comedy,
1: blazing saddles.
2: Correct. Yeah. hundred and nineteen million dollars. Huge. Number two, giant action epic. Giant action epic. Yeah, but like modern, contemporary. Sort of invents a genre. Sort of invents a genre. It's not famous for its billing. Oh, 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 oh! It's towering inferno. Yes. Invents yeah. the disaster movie, kind of. Yeah. One-sixteen. So uh-huh. those were the two. Okay. All right, now the third, and this is one reason I wanted to do 1974 first. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like a, a a revenge
1: movie. We were just talking about it. Billy Jack? Which one? Is it the—fuck, I'm trying to remember the other tals. Is one of them Billy Jack goes to Washington? Maybe. But this isn't that. Uh, uh, fuck. I don't know. What's it? What is it? Trial of Billy Jack. That's, I'm sorry. There is no Billy Jack goes to Washington. That's the one I was thinking of. $89 million. The third highest grossing film. I
2: mean, really, obviously Billy Jack is like a joke you make now. Right. About like a weird, like uncool
1: pop culture thing. Yeah. But like huge. Huge. Totally forgot. And also like total outsider art. Like a man who was outside of the industry. It's like he had the same career path as like Neil Breen, except the movies were like massive- If you look
2: at this fucking top 10, I really sometimes want to slap people in the face when they talk about how movies are over now. This is a terrible top 10 movies of the year. And there are so many incredible movies that came out in 1974, just as there are now. But they're just not in the top fucking 10. Number four is a masterpiece. This is not not that. This is another comedy
1: masterpiece. This is another comedy masterpiece? I mean, two movies in the same year. In 74? Think about it. Think about oh it's Young Frankenstein. I mean I mean
2: that's just unimpeachable. He made both those movies in in one year. Same
1: Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. Gene Muller gave both those
2: performances in the same. I mean arguably his two best movies. Yeah. Inarguably. Yeah. Right. I kind of think inarguably. That's just crazy. But then number five is another shitty disaster movie. Uh, Is it an airport? Nope. Mm -hmm. That's there. But Airport
1: nineteen seventy five is number seven. Well, uh, shitty disaster movie. Uh, Give me um. A general type of location. The ground. <laughs> it is the Is it Earthquake? Earthquake. Okay. And then like, Godfather 2 is six. Mm-hmm.
2: Love that. But then like, Airport 1975, Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, The Longest Yard, Murder on the, the, the Albert Finney Orient Express. Which is
1: a great movie.
2: It's a good movie. I love that movie. I love Albert Finney in
1: that movie. It's not my favorite movie. I love that movie, Lumet Rolls.
2: I love Lumet. Lumet has made
1: a lot of movies, as you. I know. agree, a lot of them aren't good, but that one is Pretty one of good. the really great ones.
2: It's, the end is so
1: boring. Huh? The end rolls. Um,
2: Herbie rides again. Benji, Freebie, and the Bean. Like it's like there was a lot of shit. Yeah, there's you know? a lot of garbage, like, you know. Here. And then no. you go down. You're like, oh, like here's some good stuff. The conversation. Yeah, conversation a like thirty one. Yeah, Surf Sugarland Express twenty nine. Yeah. Like, I mean, gone with the wind, twenty-five. That's so funny to think about.
0: That's the wide every year. Re-release. Every would just. Yeah.
2: Um, all right. Anyway. Okay. Like
1: Chinatown came out the air Thunderbolt, like okay. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. wow. So let's let's do top three from the other two years. Wow, you're in a rush. I'll, okay, fine. Let's do top five. You Want to do five? Stretch out.
2: Yeah. Geez, we're doing. Make great.
1: yourself comfy, Ben. How we long? Just is hit this two episode? hours. Okay. Jesus, nineteen seventy-five. I'm just saying things have changed when we go. Oh, don't worry. We just hit two. Yeah, hours. Yeah. All right. All right.
2: You're right. I okay. got time
1: to spend. Come on, we're almost done. Come okay. on, 1975, number one. 1975, number one be Jaws? Yes. Number two, Best Change Picture. Number two for 75 is Best and Yeah, Jaws, 260.
2: Right. And the next one makes 108, which is a lot of money yes. for the time.
1: Yes. Best Tons. Picture,
2: 1975.
1: Tons. I mean, this is very, this is still an era where your number one film probably hasn't made $100 million. Yeah. There are less than like, you know, 15 movies that have ever made. $100 million. Right. Okay, so number two is still a huge hit. It's 108. Give me the genre. Best picture winner. Oh, fuck. But still, give me the genre. That's not a genre, my friend. Drama? Pretty straight? I guess so. How do you describe this? It's, uh,
3: it's
1: a, kind of a prison
2: movie, but it's at, not set in prison. Uh, well, now, I don't
3: know.
1: Well, was a, what was your hint Adaptation. Be? It is an adaptation of a book. It's an adaptation of a book. It's kind of a prison movie, but not really. It's one floor over the cuckoo's nest. Correct. Huge hit. Number
2: three. I mean, this is kind of crazy. That this is number three. Uh, kind of like a sex dramedy, but like highbrow with a big star.
1: Highbrow sex dramedy. Highbrow,
2: like, geez, I just can't stop getting laid. Movie. boy oh boy
1: it sure is tough to be hot
2: and get laid it's not carnal knowledge no that I mean you know sort of that vibe but sort of that vibe it's a little less dramatic than that the big
1: star is the male yeah interesting he's a hottie I can't deny it he's a hottie it's not a Redford is it
2: no more dangerous
1: more dangerous (sighs) it's not McQueen no Less dangerous. <laughs> Less dangerous. I'd say
2: McQueen kind of is a guy where you're like, this guy could punch me in the face right <laughs> Yeah. Now. Like, Shut up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Less dangerous. But in between the two, he can't stop getting laid. It's not Alfie. Fucking,
2: no, but it's sort of like an American right. Californian Alfie.
1: Right. I'm trying to think through. He has. He's shrugging. It, the, the
2: name of the movie is a product.
1: Oh, Shampoo. Shampoo. Was the third isn't highest crazy? grossing film of that's its crazy. year. That's crazy. That's nuts. A great movie by a great filmmaker. Uh,
2: 49, though. So again, a big drop off from sure. you know, 108. But that's still crazy. Yeah. All right, 4 Beatty, uh, Beatty, four. Four is a prison movie. Oh, not a prison movie. Uh fuck. It's like a kind of a crime movie. It's like a bank robbery movie.
1: 4 is like a It's bank? a great movie. Four is great a... big performance. What Like one like very famous famous big performance. performance. Although a lot of good performances in right. it. Does, is it like an Oscar-winning performance, or it's just like an iconic performance?
2: He didn't win an Oscar. Some maybe outrageously, although he was up against Jack.
1: He was up against Jack. Yeah, Jack wins the Oscar, right for the lead Oscar. He didn't win. He wins an Oscar way later for a bad movie. He wins it way later. Is it Cool Hand Luke? No. But is it Paul Newman? No. Oh, it's Pacino for Dog Day.
2: Uh, and then number five
1: is a sequel. Uh, comedy? Let me ask you, if you could go back in time, would you give the Oscar that year to Jack or Al? Mm. I'd give it to Al.
2: Only one way to find out.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's cracked his knuckles. He has stretched his arms. You asked me the question. The spreadsheet is an being
2: opened. I gave it to Jack. Wow. You want to hear the five? Yeah. Ryan O'Neal for Barry Lyndon. Uh huh. Richard Dreyfuss for Jaws. Al Pacino for
1: Dog Day Afternoon. Warren Beatty for Shampoo.
2: And Jack's the winner.
1: Wait a second. I'm just trying to process Richard Dreyfuss for Jaws.
2: Yeah, he's my ba- he's my boy. I hadn't even
1: thought about him I as think lead I, though. I think I snuck Shaw into supporting. Well, he did get the supporting nomination, right? No, he didn't get a nomination, which is outrageous. Shaw was not nominated for Jaws. Outrageous. Are you fucking kidding me?
0: <sighs> I'll double check.
1: I would have <laughs> bet the house on that. And I think this might be similar to your Top Gun prediction. I think you, you might be right. I'm wrong I can about. Check it out. I thought Jaws kind of got snubbed. It didn't get director. Yeah, no, no, that's no, no. The famous really four noms total. See, yeah, I would say Shaw is supporting. I would say that Dreyfus is supporting, and I would say that Scheider is like
2: no. He was Shider was. I mean, Dreyfus was nominated for a lead BAFTA. He's a lead. I think it's It's three fucking rolls. I know.
1: It's a good movie. It's a great movie of rules. Can I throw a hot It's about a shark. Can I throw a hot take? eats people. Is pretty good. <laughs> no, but can I. I can think I... I gave it to Jack. It is one
2: of those four super. He, the movie yeah. is no good without him, I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Miloš,
2: though. I'm a little surprised. I think I also have given Pacino several wins already at that point. Maybe I'm sort of this like is... spreading the love. I don't know. I
1: think that's the best one. It's pretty good. But it's also one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, it's a good
2: movie. Uh, number five, come on, comedy
1: sequel. Number five is a comedy sequel. So that's not very a very frequent occurrence at this point in time. Yeah. It's a comedy sequel. Is it like character or circumstance that they're sequelizing? He's a character. This guy? This guy's a character? <laughs> Let me ask you, is the character <laughs> iconic enough? But the character's enough, name is not in the title. But is the character iconic enough that I would know the character by name? Yeah. Is it A Shot in the Dark? Uh, it's a Pink Panther. Which one? Uh uh It's not the trail, it's not the curse. No. It's not return. It is return. Return of the Pink return Panther. Return of okay. the Pink Panther.
2: Now okay. nineteen seventy six. Yeah. And then we're done. Okay. Number one, best picture, iconic movie, huge, rules. So fucking good.
1: Why am I forgetting what wins Best Picture in 1976?
2: I mean, it wins it over better movies, but who cares? It still rules. Uh, people will shit on it, but uh, they shouldn't because it fucking rules.
1: Fuck. I'd fuck. love to do an episode on fuck. it. Fuck. I'm going to do a miniseries. I'm into it, right? the fact that people shit no, on it. No, but we could do a franchise. Mm. That's a good franchise. Mm. Oh, the, oh, the film, film is Rocky. Rocky! The film is Rocky, and we should probably do that franchise at some It'd point. It'd be pretty fun. It'd be pretty fun. I haven't uh, seen any of the Creed movies, which is like what a bummer. I know you should oh, watch Creed. I know, I, know, I, know, I, know, I, know, I and, know, that movie is the most watchable movie ever made. And uh, gotta get um, off. Well, also, look, we might have another reason to talk about a couple of the Rocky movies if March Madness <laughs> out in some of the crazy ways. <laughs> it
0: could.
2: Now, number two, you may or may not know this is an IMAX movie that was a documentary. Are you joking? No. It was it's like I a weird, it's of like a weird box that. office anomaly. It was the highest grossing documentary of all time before Fahrenheit nine eleven.
1: Weird. And it's from nineteen seventy five? Six. Six.
2: It mostly played at like this National Air and Space Museum in, in Washington D.C. IMAX documentary, but it was like such a big deal that it was technically the second highest grossing movie of the year.
1: I wonder though if that's them retroactively saying I, it, it's it, the second it highest grossing film. It clear 1976
2: gross, so I don't think so. Weird, yeah, because like just like I said, like on that early one, Gone with the Wind was listed as making ten million dollars yeah. that year.
1: Is the title of it's the film title. like the subject or is it creative? Yeah, it's way? like what it's about. It's an announcement. <laughs> yeah, it, it is an exclamation point. Love those. It's not like this is Cinerama. No. It sort of feels like it's pointing. It's not that's entertainment. No. I mean. I'm trying to think of titles are that good are exclamations. Guesses. Can I know can they're I give it not to you? right. Yeah. To Fly. Uh, I've never knew that existed. To Fly. It's a documentary that shows you, you have it's to about point. Flight. You have to point at the sky. I
2: believe the, the poster is like a hot air balloon.
1: Wow. It's I, about like the
3: history of flight. I
1: did not know this movie existed. But even
3: if you read about it you'd be like, oh, what do you, you want to see a movie?
2: So you, maybe we should
3: go see To Fly." And once
1: again Ben's doing the physical bit, they're pointing at the sky and looking up towards the Now
2: the, the three others are big movies of the okay. era. None of them are particularly good in my to mind, fly. but they were all big hits. To Fly. One is a giant remake that just got re- Remade again?
1: Uh Starsborn? Right. Streisand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris Christofferson underrated. Terrible movie, though. Yeah, terrible. movie. Mm-hmm.
2: Number four is
1: a movie
2: that um uh it's it's been remade again. It was also made for the
1: stage. Recently. Whoa. Whoa. And so it was not a stage play originally. Got like, no. to it. Mm-hmm. Recently. <sighs> Fuck, I'm trying to think of the ones recently. I, I know. I know. Is it network? No. Okay, but that was a good guess.
2: No, because that is the
1: same year, is it not?
2: Uh, yeah, network is it was the 19th highest grossing film of the year. <sighs> what a great movie! So
1: wait, good movie. What, the 1976. There's another 76 movie. Hmm. David's what stroking? Why is he hmm. pointing at us? Mm Hmm, maybe you two saw this stage production. Oh.
0: Oh.
1: Oh, it's the Jessica Lange, (laughs) Dino De Laurentiis, King Kong. King Kong. The one where he's on the Twin Towers. And Jeff Bridges is in it, I believe. There's that line, yes. Jeff Bridges and Charles Grove. It's the one
2: where they built like a giant puppet.
1: Animatronic. And
2: then it didn't work, so it's mostly just a guy in a suit, right? right? Right,
1: I believe Rick Baker is also playing King Kong for most of that movie in a costume. Um, I, I like that poster, poster yeah. where he's yeah. on both towers yeah he's not just on one building now do you know what's like the meanest thing that critics say what when they're discussing a new King Kong project and they say like every generation gets the King Kong they deserve that's really disrespectful to at least three or four <laughs> different disrespectful generations disrespectful to
2: basically every generation <laughs> yeah and like the only one that did got a good one was the one that where it came out like during the Great Depression
1: <laughs> right and the movie's kind of racist <laughs> yeah
2: They're all kind of racist. Yeah, was the stage play racist? Did they squeeze that in?
1: No, (laughs) ten minutes of racism in there. No, but the stage play trains so hard. Yeah, they did have a slow character. Oh, Jesus! He's not slow. He's lumpy. (laughs) Okay. And by that I mean his name is Lumpy. Yeah. Number um, five. I will, say, want, okay, I will right. say Andaro in the King Kong musical is played by an African-American woman sure. who was absent the night that we saw it, so we did not see that. <laughs> but I have heard that that lends some interesting subtext nah, sure. to the performance. yeah, yeah. It's not because it's usually the, this blonde ingenue. Right, right, right. 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 Anyway. Part
2: of Jackson's problem is he's way too fucking um, slavish to the original. Like yeah. Like he just
1: wants to. Uh, except it's a great movie and it should have won Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> the Year of Crash? There are other movies. I mean, yeah. If you're picking between those two, mm-hmm. sure. I'll, I can't maybe think I'll give of it another together. one. No, I mean genuinely, my number one film that year is New World, but I thought King Kong should have been the consensus best picture winner.
2: <laughs> Insane. We should do next year. Fuck it. Let's do next year. Fuck it. Let's do fuck. It. Let's, do fuck
1: it. let's do. Don't bleep out both of those things.
2: Finally, it's a comedy. Okay. Iconic comedy duo.
1: Is it a Pryor Wilder? Yeah. You know they used to sell Pryor and Wilder as. Wild and Wilder. There you go. Richard's Wild. Gene is Wilder. Uh it's not the first one. I don't fucking remember. Silver Street pronoun- It's Silver Street. Okay, so that's the first one. 1976. Stir crazy is the one that's huge. Uh yeah, right, right, right. But it did really well. $51 million. Uh Silver Streak's a boring movie and it's the one that's on a train, right? It's pretty much just a uh like Z- like C grade Hitchcock ripoff. Um and uh whatchamacallit? Uh Richard Pryor is in like three scenes. And it's very clear oh, that right, they hired right. him and he was really funny, and they were like, fuck, we gotta put a couple more Richard right. Pryor scenes like in It's like the
2: movie with Eddie Murphy where he's in a tank. Best offense. Yeah, right. But yeah. they're like, shit, this guy's right. huge. We gotta get him in this much of this movie.
1: But it right. was like they were like, oh fuck, this chemistry is really good. And then they made like three more movies that are actually about the two of them. Right. But you watch Silver Streak and it's like a Gene Wilder, Jill Clayburgh uh like mystery film right. that's pretty dry and right. then has one scene where Gene Wilder does blackface great. at Richard Pryor's encouragement great
2: alright uh, I'm gonna delete the Stuber box office page we're done delete it no, not to, like, close it never exists you've
1: removed tap. Stuber from the timeline
2: alright I don't like this in fourth place with 5% truth about podcast it was doomed uh-huh. in, se- in third place Silence spi- of the cast oh no In second place, my personal fave with 32% Married to the Pot, which means that they have chosen as number one with 37%
1: Stop Making Podcasts. Outrageous. What do you think? I I mean. I like it. I guess we got to do it. We don't
2: don't have to do it. I guess we got to do it. Ange, I will say, is really hyped up about Married to the Pot. If
3: well, Ange has
2: like a is like a super delegate, you know? We got a day left, so
1: next episode we'll know for sure. Right, Give and, it some time. uh you will already know because you will have listened to this episode. <laughs> and there will be artwork. Oh yeah. <laughs> Unless we want to keep it a secret. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Anne Tragudo for our social media, Liam Montgomery for our theme song, Pat Rounds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. Go to blankiesoutright.com for some real nerdy shit. T Public for some real nerdy shirts. Uh, you can head over to Patreon for blank check special features. Where we're getting pretty close to being done with Marvel. Finally, we're in the end game now. We're not up to end game, but we're in the end game. Towards end game. Uh and uh tune in next week for uh our last double feature. Cause we just gotta get through these early ones. Yep. Last Embrace and Citizens Band. That's right. And then after that, we're on to the real the real can kind of gold. Hell yeah. Uh and as always, David's
0: buying steel bucks now. I'm kinda of pumped.